Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast. In this episode, we sit down with Joe Lozon, legend of the fight game, coach, mentor to New England fighters. It's a great talk, so I hope you guys enjoy this one. As always, this episode is brought to you by the world-famous Tortuga Soap Company. All the things you need to keep you looking and smelling good. Use the discount code PODCAST and get 20% off your order. And Port City BJJ, home of the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast. Located in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. If you're ever in the area, please come and visit us. We'd love to train with you. PortCityBJJ.com And this episode is also brought to you by BJJ Prehab. It's a program of custom videos designed to keep you healthy and injury-free. Make sure you check them out at BJJPrehab.com. Also, we just launched a YouTube channel. Please check that out. Follow us. Give us some likes. All those things. Makes us feel good. Um, All the stuff is going to be up on video there, but all the podcasts will still be out on the regular channels, iTunes, all that. And uh, we even got some stuff on Facebook, so make sure you check out all the venues. Thanks, everybody, for your support. We really do appreciate it. Um, Hope to see you guys out there soon on the mat training. We love you all. Peace. Welcome to the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast. Joe, we appreciate you coming on, man. Um, Thanks for having me. What have you been up to lately, man? Been playing a lot of Call of Duty, uh, playing a little Warzone. Uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff in the gym. Obviously, like, everyone has their gym shut down right now. So, um, you know, trying to, like, try and figure out the virtual classes and all the kids stuff. Like, I don't, I know a lot of people pushing the virtual classes. I love it for the kids. I think it's terrible for adults. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So, but I've been, I've been trying to, I've been trying to figure out how we're going to go about it and what we're going to do. Everybody seems to want to do it uh, for because they want to give their members something. You know, their team something. But yep. you know, our art is a little bit different. Like karate guys can like do forms and stuff like that, singular yep. stuff. Like we kind of were dependent on a dance partner, right? We kind of are, and and I think the big difference is like like if if you and you and I could get together and we could train. Right. And it's more about not necessarily what we're doing, but how we're doing it. Right. It's like, you need to kind of feel something or you need to like feel how you're adjusting a little differently. Um, and I just think it doesn't, it doesn't work virtually like that. Like it, it's good to be able, but there's so much content online. Like go sign up for Marcelo Garcia or Keenan's website or, or any of these other million websites. Like there's so much, like you can never contend with that content. So like, why are you trying to now? I understand like, I understand you're trying to do something. You're trying to not be lazy, but I think that like, Honestly, like just like more like strategy and just talking about why you do things. I think like videos like that are way more beneficial because if I want to find solo drills, I can find a thousand of them on Jason Scully's YouTube or wherever else. Like there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a million, like, I don't know. Right. And they get solo drills get old quick. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And and, and, like, and I, I think that jujitsu is good because like, like I'm trying to choke someone and they're trying to choke me back. Right. It's like, there's, there's that dynamic of like that stressful dynamic of like, Oh, it's okay. I choked him, but he was trying to break my arm. So it's, it's all right. I don't feel so bad about it. Now it's like you're training in your living room, like my wife 
and I'm like cranking a Kamor on her. I'm like, yeah, how's that? Like, it just doesn't, it's not the same. It's not right. Are you doing like guard recovery drills with your kitchen chair? Like, yeah. What, yeah. I mean, those videos, that's weird. I think, I think the, the big thing is that, you know, school owners are trying to do something, right? They're not just, most school owners are not just sitting back doing nothing. I think everyone's doing something, which is the big thing. Um, but it's hard, you know, a lot, a lot of, and a lot of schools are going to close because of this. A lot of schools. And you know what the funny thing is? It's not necessarily that they did anything wrong. No, it's nothing wrong. Very, very difficult for a service oriented industry where it's a very close, you know, knit, like there's a lot of touching, a lot of, we just can't deliver a product right now. It's really difficult. And, you know, school owners are doing the right thing. They save money. They did all these things. They treat their students the right way. They teach the right curriculum. They're keeping jujitsu real. They're keeping their relationships real. They're, they're billing this fair. And still, they might go out of business. Yep. Like, I think about a guy like, say, like a Matt Sarah, right? Super, like, super successful, such a big school, big association, everything like that, right? Like, I do not think Matt Sarah would do that great if he had to run his own Zoom classes for his class, right? He'd be like, oh, I'm not going to do these. I guess we're not going to run class. You know what I mean? Like, that could have been the end of his entire school, his affiliation, like, everything. You know, it's like, it's not based on how you do jujitsu or how you run a school or if you're a good person. It's about how like techie you can be and how, you know, how much you can, you know, appease your, your audience and your members and stuff like that. It's just, it, it sucks. Honestly, it sucks. But even so, I think too, a lot of people have lost their jobs. And so even if you can deliver content, in some cases, you're going to lose people anyway, just because they can't afford to yeah, you know, for sure. train it, I think. And I think like, obviously like, you know, I've seen some people like, oh, you know, don't just try to survive. This is your time to thrive. You need to sign up new people and do this, <laughs> do that. It's just like, I understand, but when this is over, I don't hope to be doing virtual classes. Like, I'm, just, I'm, I'm done with them. Like, I'm, you know, I'll do it as like, a, as like a, a way to try to keep people engaged and keep them happy, right? Because I want to do something for them, but, but I'm not going to be doing these when I can get back on the mats. You know, I don't right. think most people are going to do it. Like, some, some of these schools are like, they're trying to engage, like, oh, I have this virtual audience that I'm going to engage with, and I'm going to, this is going to be another stream of revenue, and, and I just, if they want to do that, that's fine, but I do not want to do that. That is not my that is not my goal. I'm well, not- I think it's a it's a fit gap for now, right? Like we've got a way to kind of uh, still reach out and provide something for now, and I guess that yep. that attempt is really that's really good. But nothing will replace like like we all came up in kind of similar environments as far as what we know jujitsu to be, and it's not something you learn online. Like you've got to get on the mat. You got to like you said, you got to feel it. Like that's how jujitsu is learned. It's not this submission, that sweep. It's the transmission that makes all that stuff work together that you learn. And the only way you learn it is by getting on the mat with people. Yep. No, I agree. You know, and I think that another part of it too, that I think people kind of neglect a little bit. Sometimes they don't pay attention as much is the fact that like, not everyone's doing jujitsu just to be a better fighter or just for exercise. A a big part of it's just like the social, um, the social aspect of it all. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, I, I think that like, that goes a long way with it too. I mean, like I got guys in my gym that like they're good athletes. They're in good shape. They just, they're a little weird and they don't have any friends. <laughs> like they like, they become friends with us. And like, you know, then we, we, we accept them and we get them to come out of their shell a little bit and, and whatever. It just like, there's like that social aspect of it too. You know? So yeah. like, I think zoom class would be good for that, but it's just, it's just hard. It's just a hard. It's, hard it's true, man. Because I think like for, like for, for me, for us and probably for you guys, you know, jujitsu kind of takes over most of your life. Like most of my social life is spent on a mat. Yep. And, uh, and so when that's all gone, like you can, you know, for a week I was like, Oh, this is no big deal. Like I'll be fine. Like what's the big deal. And then like 10 days in two weeks, I'm like, we got to do something. Like, so we started doing this and talking, talking to people in our Academy because it's true. Like 
I just miss talking to people. Um, and I've tried to do like push-ups or running or baking bread and all this weird stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's something about like someone trying to strangle me or yeah. me trying to strangle somebody that like it doesn't get replaced by any of those other things. I'm like a, I am a socially awkward kid. I really am. Like, I just like, I didn't like, I was, I was a kid in like high school. Like I would be, I would be friendly with everyone. Like I would talk to whoever, but I wasn't like, I wouldn't go out of my way to talk to anybody. Right. So it's like, if there was someone like I played baseball with or played football with or whatever, like I could talk to them. I would be fine. I had something to talk about, like talk about movies, talk about video games, talk about whatever, like no problem, you know, but to just make small talk, not my strength, you know, like, and I can kind of, I can, I've done so many interviews and podcasts and I can BS it pretty good. Yeah. But like, (laughs) Nothing. I just don't like people. Honestly, like I just don't (laughs) like people. Like I want to. Like nothing makes me happier than like sitting on my computer, playing Xbox, watching TV, uh, choking people, strangling people. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to talk to them. I got to protect my neck. I got to protect my airway. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's so much better. Like I'm like I'm the awkward kid at the party. It doesn't matter. I've been been like you know after parties like when I fought on a night and I'm like yeah look it's a good fight it's good camp. And that's all I really want to say. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make small talk about stuff. So it's, I don't know. I'm okay with the, I'm okay with the being on lockdown thing, but I am a little concerned about the gym stuff. <laughs> well, I think uh, you're, you know, like you and I have talked a lot about, about the kind of the, the backbone of the business and how gyms work and kind of the things that you're doing. I think you're, uh, you know, not only like, not that there aren't other people doing it, but you're a standout and that you have a good handle on the technology behind your business. Yep. And I think that enables you to kind of take advantage of what we can and cannot do right now. And I, I think a lot of gym owners are not that savvy. They say like, oh, I don't know how to do online classes. I got to set, I got to build a click curriculum. I got to do all this stuff and I got to get it all out online. You know, not only do you have the ability to do that, but the, uh, we've always talked and I'm always impressed by the technical background, the backbone that you have, the company that's set up for the way that, you know, you, you, you handle your business, you manage your business. Like, for anybody that's going to deal with kind of what's going on right now, I think you're about like kind of amongst the guys that are the, the most well-equipped based on the way you put things together. I think, I think I was like a, a two stripe white belt in business like two years ago. <laughs> right. And now I think I'm like, uh, maybe like a, a, a blue with like two stripes. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, I'm always trying to get better, you know, but I, th- I know there's a lot of people that like, they have no idea how their business works at all. They know that like, okay, like, well we have enough members and that, that pays X number of dollars. And then it costs me so much for rent and then I get to keep the rest. And like, it's like, you have to know like how things are like, why you're making more money some months and not the others. It's not just because more people happen to walk in. It's like, there's specific reasons. There's specific things that you did. And maybe not something you did today that made money happen today. Maybe something you did a month ago or two months ago or several months ago that you just been building on. And like, some people just don't have any idea like what's going on. And like, and I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on any of it yet, but I'm, I've gotten so much better in the last couple of years about trying to like understand like how it works and why it works and, and understanding like, just like I try to get better at jujitsu, right? I try to get better at jujitsu and MMA and everything else. Like I, I try to find people that were mentors, that were coaches, that, that knew more than me, that had successful schools. Like it's like, oh, this guy's got a good guard. I want to have a better guard. I'm going to ask him some questions on how he got his guard so good. You know, like it's the same thing. Like, how are you doing your intros? How are you doing your retention? How are you doing your sales? How are you doing this? Like there's, there's so much to it. And I think if you look outside the industry, that's what successful business owners do. I mean, you think of the, the, these companies that are, uh, you know, whether they're products manufacturers or they're, you know, they're service oriented you know, service providers, you know what I mean? They figured out how to get people in and how to keep them there. And there's a science and an art to all of those things. And it takes, 
effort and learning and education and professionalism. It's, it's not easy. I think I would, you know, I'm going to piss off a lot of people, but I would say that like Taekwondo schools are the reason that, you know, BJJ schools need to learn how to run their business, right? Because Taekwondo, as far as like a functional, like martial art, I'm not saying there's not some that have okay schools, but overall Taekwondo is the biggest bag of trash you've ever seen in your life as far as like trying to defend <laughs> yourself, right? It's just like, there's a lot of like super high kicks. Like there's, there's all this stuff. And like, yeah, there's, there's some guys that are good, right? But they're like such like a very, very small percentage compared to like most jiu-jitsu gyms. Like if you have anyone that's like a blue belt, they're better. They're going to take the, that, that Taekwondo guy's lunch money. Like no problem, right? Yep. But so many of these schools are making so much money just because they learn the business side of it. Like we're like, we're a bunch of idiots. We're learning how to do like all these chokes and takedowns and getting punched in the face and like doing these MMA fights to try and push our school and stuff like that. Then these Taekwondo schools are doing like, BS martial arts, but they're learning the business side of it. And like, that's why they have 10 schools and we have one. Right. Oh, maybe they, maybe they weren't the, the dumb ones after all. Maybe they were the smart ones, <laughs> you know? Well, that's like the no touch martial arts right now. Yes. I mean, they're all training. We can't yep. train right now. Yep. George Doman is thriving. Yeah. <laughs> ah. I know. It's, it's such hey, how did you get, how did you start? How did you start off in martial arts? Did you start in jujitsu? I started with jujitsu, but all, but always no gi. Like I, I got a black belt now, but like only because I got dragged kicking and screaming. Um, <laughs> I, I've had, I've had fun in the gi the last like two years or so. Um, but until then, like you couldn't you couldn't pay me to put a gi on. Like, um, but I just, I just started no gi, and like I've been submitting black belt since I was like seventeen or eighteen. Um, but it was like I just I, I was ahead of the curve on the leg lock stuff. So like oh these guys have hard guards to pass. I'm not gonna do that shit. I'm just gonna like I'm just gonna start a kind of pass. They're gonna bring the legs up and I catch the foot. I was like way ahead of the leg lock curve. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I just, thank Congratulations you. on your black belt. That's thank awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but I was just, I was just like that, that dirty leg locker. So I was entering all these nagas and just like, they go, oh, leg locks are dangerous. I'm like, yes, they are. You better tap. <laughs> um, you know, but I just, I, but I started with no gi. And so I did no gi for like, I started when I was like 16 and I trained until I did like just strictly no gi, nothing, no MMA until I was like 17 and a half, like a year and a half, two years maybe. And then a couple of my buddies started getting ready for fights and I was helping them get ready. So then I started like, I was like their training partner and I'm beating them up and then they're winning their fights. I'm like, oh, if I'm beating these guys up, I can do this too, just for whatever. And then I started doing it. And then when I was in college, it was almost like a part-time job. I would make, you know, not a lot of money, but I'd make like, eight, I want to fight and make like 800 bucks, make like 400, 400. I'm like, oh, I'll do that a couple of times, you know, six, seven times in a year. Wouldn't have to get a, a secondary job. I just got to train jiu-jitsu and just kill people. It was awesome. So why did you start originally? Um, so professional wrestling was really big. So I had, a tr- I had a trampoline. So it started off with, like, me and my friends used to take turns, like, powerbombing and chokeslam each other. And then it was like, okay. Like, then it was like we were fighting each other on trying to powerbomb and chokeslam each other, having, like, a legit wrestling match. Legit, you know, whatever. And then um, I had a cousin, my cousin Dennis. He knew, like – He'd done like, he trained with like Bart Vale, who was like a shoot fighter back in the day. And he had done like, he knew like, he knew very, my cousin Dennis knew very, very little, but he taught me how to do a guillotine, how to do a rear naked choke and how to do a toe hold. (laughs) And those were like the only, so I, but I knew those. So like, and I was always like, kind of like wiry and I was never like strong, but I was like always scrappy. So I would just like, my friends didn't knew nothing. I knew a little bit. So like I would just we ended up I'd get behind them and I would get their back and I would choke them and they just they wouldn't have any idea and I've you know I would I would kind of I didn't really know it that well myself so I couldn't like explain it all that much for them but I kind of knew what I was trying to do I was just trying to get there and get the arm and whatever and like um, and the same thing with holds holds exact same rear naked choke holds the same thing right it's around eh, eh. 
Um, so I knew those two, and then I, I, I kind of knew a guillotine, but not really. Um, but I had those, and so I was like dominating the neighborhood with like <laughs> my, with my grappling, my, my submission wrestling, my shoe fighting, and then um, you know, and then I had a couple friends that started. Uh, we had a a jiu-jitsu demonstration in my high school, which is my, my partner at the gym now is Joe Pomfrey. He's like my original trainer since day one. He did like a jiu-jitsu demonstration in our high school and we we're all like, oh my God, this is what we've been trying to do. There's, there's something real to this. There's like, there's a system to it. So a couple of my friends started training jiu-jitsu and now they're, they're pulling guard on me and I'm like, what, what is this? I'm like reaching through and I'm getting triangled <laughs> left and right. And I couldn't, so now I couldn't have that. I went from being like the king of the neighborhood to get triangle choked nonstop. So like I needed to, eat, I needed to even the field a little bit. That's, That's where I got in. Story. So, like, um, do I recall? I'm trying to think back. It's like a really, you know, we're going way, way back into kind of Massachusetts mixed martial arts origins yeah. stuff like that. Did you train with that team elite group? Did you get together with them? No. So I, I knew those guys. So like when I first came up, they were the only like real team and really all of New England, right? Like they were like like Matt Lee, Neri, um, jo- uh, George uh, Rivera. Um, who was the other guy? Uh, Keith. Matt were there training those guys. Uh, yep. Keith Raquel. Keith Raquel. His name Smith? was trying to Keith Raquel. Keith Raquel. Uh, so, like, there were all these guys. Like, they were the only, like, real team, right? And I don't even – and looking back, I don't know if they were even as much of a team as much as they just – they got together on Saturdays, and they beat the hell out of each other, and they all went their own ways, and then they got together and beat each other up. Like, I don't really know. But they were the only, like, real team. Otherwise, we were, like – we were the school that, like, was, like they had no idea what they're doing. Like, if you watch me, like, hit mitts back then, like, like I, I fought in the UFC, and I did not, like, warm up. I literally jumped back and forth from one foot to the other, and I did not hit mitts. I did not grapple. I did not wrestle. I did not do anything. I just, like, went up there, and then I went out, and I, I fought pulver. And, and then at that point, I started getting serious about training. Like, I really wasn't, like, I was always serious about jiu-jitsu, but I was never serious about, like, MMA until then. I'm like, oh, I, I, I kind of made a little bit of money this weekend. Maybe I should focus on this a little bit more. Um, but like, no, I, I never, I never got to train with any of those guys before my first fight in the UFC. I got to train with Neri a little bit. I went and trained with Neri and like, I thought I was in like pretty good shape. I'd be doing tons of conditioning and things like that. And then I went and trained with Neri and he just whooped my ass like so bad. Like I was so tired. I was like, because I, I was training to fight Jens Pulver, who was a, a boxer with good wrestling. Right. So like I wasn't doing any jitsu. I was doing all boxing. And then I went and trained with Neri like two weeks before the fight. And I hadn't done any grappling at all in like a month and a half. Cause I was, I was so focused on the, the, like I was running sprints and I was like lifting and I was hitting mitts and stuff like that. And like, cause like we were, we were terrified. I was getting knocked out by Pulver. Like it was just like, oh, we got it. We have to take him down. So it was like one, two hook, single leg, one, two hook, single leg, like over and over. That's all we did for like three months. Wow. And then, um, so I went and he just whooped my ass. Like I was so tired. I got so, it was bad. It was bad. And then How I grabbed that him. fight come about. Like, I mean, Jens Pulver was like, uh, yeah, world champ, right? Yep. So Chris Palmquist was my was my manager at the time, right? And he didn't really do a like a whole lot for me. It was m- more so like when talking to promoters, Chris could be like, "Oh, Joe deserves more money," or "Joe th- needs this," or him kind of being like the bad guy, and me just telling everyone, "I'll t- I wanted every fight and I'll do whatever," and so he could kind of be the bad guy, right? So like instead of being like, "Oh, I want more money," because like, "Oh, well, Joe deserves more money," right? So he was kind of like the go between. Um, so, but. Joe Silva contacted Chris. Um, you know, I, I was pretty active on the underground and I was posting, like, I would post like highlight videos and things like that, like all the time. Um, and Chris, uh, was on the underground all the time. He's one of the owners and, um, Joe Silva just reached out to Chris and want to know if I, if I want to fight. And, and, you know, they, of course, tell me after the fact that they, they wanted me to come in and get knocked out by Pulver because he's supposed to hype up, you know, the ultimate fight, the ultimate fighter, him and BJ Penn were the coaches. So it's supposed to be like, Oh, 
the returning champ, Jens Pope, he had lost like his last like one or two fights previously outside the UFC, but he was the reigning champ in the UFC. And then he went outside the UFC, he lost a couple fights, and then they brought him back to bring back the division. And the whole entire thing was like, oh, we're going to have Jens Pulver fight BJ Penn. And they're going to, you know, they're, they're, they're badass. They fought before. Pulver beat BJ, da da da. And then they're going to have the rematch. And I was supposed to be like the cannon fodder to hype up BJ. And I just derailed the whole train. You messed up the show, man. I, yeah, I messed But, you know, but they told me even back then that, like, it doesn't, like, like sometimes we mess up, sometimes fights mess up plans a little bit because they're kind of thinking it's going to go a certain way. But it, it doesn't really mess anything up because, you know, I, 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 you know, I ruined the plans for Pulver a little bit. I mean, he's still the, he was still on the show. It didn't really change too much. It maybe had a little less hype, but it just made more of a name out of me. It's like, okay, now they push me. It doesn't matter. Like, it's same thing with, like, if Khabib and Tony fought. You know, a fight's not going to happen now, but, like, if, if Tony came in and beat Khabib, it just builds up Tony better. And Khabib is still a badass, but it just builds up Tony better. It doesn't, it doesn't really hurt people that much when they lose, I don't think. Right, especially like that when, you know, you're losing to a pretty high-quality fighter, you know, a really experienced, really talented guy. Like, if Khabib lost to Tony Ferguson, like, a lot of people aren't paying attention. Like, they, you know, they don't put Tony Ferguson on Khabib's level. I'm like, who's going to, like, 26-3 and three or something like that? I, yeah. It's something crazy. like that. Like, it's ridiculous. Yep. You know, and I think the big thing is that, like, the average fan is kind of an idiot, right? They just, they don't, they don't, they don't follow. Like, they just don't understand. It's not that they're, it's not that they, 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 they care to be. Like, I don't know. I, I used, I played a lot of baseball, right? I still don't know crap about baseball compared to, like, anyone that's played in college or anything like that. Like, I know a little bit because I played, like, up to high school. But, like, I know a little bit about baseball. But I do not know anything compared to guys that are playing in MLB. Right, but like everyone else thinks, like oh, like they think they can throw a good punch. They think they know. They think jujitsu is easy or whatever like that. And then they come in the first time, like oh, this little tiny piece of MMA is really really hard. They don't realize like the entire scope of what's going on. Um, and and unfortunately, just most people will never step on the mat. Most people will never do jujitsu, so they'll never like they'll they'll just be kind of like that that kind of idiot fan for for their entire life because they're never going to get in that position. You know, right? It's not their. They fault. never step in the fire. Yeah, just you never know. Uh, uh, that pan's really hot. Uh, how hot is it? I don't know. Like, oh, <laughs> we'll touch that again. Yeah. So let's go back to that. So after the Jens fight, was that before or after you were on season five? Was season that, was, five? that was that was before. So, um, so you were on the show and you were so it was Pulver and Penn and you were on BJ's. BJ was your coach, right? Yep. So. Going back a little bit further, so like I, I fought uh, WFL was a local show. They had an eight man tournament, so I I won the eight man tournament, right? So I I I won three fights in one night, and I won that. So that was April first, two thousand six. So we, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So yeah. any 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 fight fan that's like you know <laughs> under the age of thirty, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> times in the same night. Yeah, same rounds. They didn't they didn't change anything. I just I literally got wrapped one time. It would never fly. It would never fly now, but, but we did. So, um, so I fought three times in one night. Luckily, like my, all three of my fights, like the first fight was like the longest. It was like a minute and a half of that. And that was like 40 seconds in a minute or something like that. So I fought three times. I didn't get punched one time the entire night, three fights. Um, I think I submitted, I, I submitted the first one. A second one I knocked out. It was one of J Jack's guys. I hit him with a body lock. And just as I took him down, my shoulder hit it on his face and knocked him out. Cause I felt a little bit bad. I, I mean, I still hammer fisted him, but I did feel a little bit bad about it after. Um, and then I fought Doug Brown in the finals, and I just I double legged him right away, put him down very gently inside control, not because I was trying to be nice, 
because I did not want him to get back up to his feet. I did not, not nothing, nothing out of control here. I just dump him down, put him down, got him out, arm locked him like right away. Like I fought like three times, made, uh, I think I made four grand for the night or something nice. like that. So it was good. So I don't know that to an hourly rate, but it's pretty good. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Four grand for like three minutes. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. So, um, so I did that. So that was April 1st. So like a month later, we got a call uh, from the UFC to fight Jens Pulver. And I had just been saying like in the, in the gym, like the week before that he would be like the worst possible stylistic matchup for, for someone like me. Cause he's got really good standup and he's got great hands and he's got good wrestling. Like I would have a, a hell of a time trying to, you know, fight a guy like that. And then Chris Ponquist goes and tells me, Oh, the UFC wants you to fight Jens Pulver. And I thought he was joking. Cause we were legit talking about him being the worst possible fight for me, like three days prior. And then it turns out that it's real. So that was like end of April. So then I fought in September. So we had all of May, June, July, September. We had four months to get ready for this fight. So, um, so like it was so, it was such a long camp, but like we just, we started right away. We started working on boxing and strength conditioning and everything else. Apparently not jujitsu. Why I got so tired with Neri, but uh, we did like four months of like, uh, like a four month camp fought Pulver. It was in September. And then they, uh, just on the, on the back then you still rode on the, um, like legit, like a, like a shuttle. I took the shuttle with Dana and Joe Silva and like all the UFC execs, like the lawyers and stuff like that. Cause we would stay to the press conference and we went, I, like I rode in the same shuttle with Dana and everyone, which doesn't happen now. Like he's got his own car. He's got whatever. Um, and they told me right off the bat, like, we want you to go on the ultimate fighter. You know, it's going to film, you know, early next year. We want you to go. And I kept like, I'm like, I'm already in the UFC. Take my brother. Like I'm boring. Like I'm not a people person. I don't like people. I don't want to be locked in a house with people. Like take my brother. He'll be way better television. And I argued with them for like for months on that. And they wouldn't take my brother. Eventually they told me, look, we can't take him because he's not 21. He's not 21. We can't have alcohol in the house. He's a liability. We cannot have him in the house. So I'm like, okay. So like once I knew that it couldn't happen for my brother, I said I would go and do it. So and then we filmed in... I think we started like mid January, like mid January to like end of February, I think like 40 days or something. Dude, at the time, did you have any idea you'd be able to make a career out of this thing? Um, no, not, not at this time. So like my, my contract for Pulver was, I, I fought for 3000 and 3000. So, and then I got, I got knockout of the night, which was 15 grand at the time. And then I got like, and you did take him down. I did take him down. <laughs> and I got like, I think like 10 grand in sponsors or something like that. So I made like, I made 30 grand when everything was said and done. And I'm like, I made 30 grand. This was awesome. I, I was still working. I, I, was, I was finishing school and I was working at the time. I was working like 20 hours a week or something. So I was finishing school. I was working. Uh, I made 30 grand in a weekend. I went back to, to work right after. What were you doing it for work at the time? Uh, I work in IT. So like I was in like a network admin. So like, um, mm-hmm. I was in college and I had to get a co-op. So I got a co-op as like a network admin. And basically they brought me in like, it was a company of like 35 people and it was one IT guy. And he was basically like really close to having like a nervous breakdown about like just getting overloaded on stuff. Cause he was the only guy there. He was like, he was like a one man person and like the company had grown too much for just him. So they brought me in to help him out and like kind of, you know, lighten his load a little bit. And then halfway through the semester, he pulls me in the office. He's like, Joe, Friday's my last day. I'm out of here. This is on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, okay, did you tell where you tell like HR is like, nope, you're the only one that's going to know. He's like, I'm just Friday. I'm showing up and I'm not leaving. I'm not coming back. I'm like, you have to tell them. You can't just like, he's like, I don't want to screw you. He's like, I'm, this is going to be bad for you. But like, I just want to, any, any questions you have here, are all the passwords, here's how everything's set up. You've been here for like a month and a half. Good luck. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, 
I don't know, like, I'm still going to school at the time. Like, I'm like, this is like my co-op. It's supposed to be like, oh, it's a nice, easy co-op. This guy's supposed to, like, teach me how to do things. And he's like, oh, it's all on you. Wow. <laughs> so uh, work tried to give me the job. They, they wanted me to, like, pull out of school. And I told them I did not want to do that. So they, they ended up bringing someone else in. Um, so I just, like, I had, I basically, I didn't train my boss, but I kind of had to teach him, like, kind of how our systems were set up. You know, he knew a lot more than me, but he didn't know how our systems were set up. So I had to kind of train my boss. And then, but I, I went back to work and, and work had no idea what I did. Like they had no idea that I fought. They didn't know anything until I, until I fought. And then they, they, they used to see me coming all the time with like Velcro burns on my face and black eyes. And cause I, I was fighting, but they had no idea. It was all small shows. Like no one's, no one's paying attention to what's going on at WFL and Revere, like a, a little small show. Um, did anybody ever say anything? Like, what's up with your face? Yeah, I would, like, oh, like, I would just like, oh, I, I, I fell down some stairs or I walked into something on my clutch. I fell down I some stairs. I don't, I don't talk to anyone. I don't want to, I, I didn't try to talk to anybody. I was just kind of quiet. Um, and then the guy across the hall from me, he was like a big UFC fan. And when it got announced like a month and a half before the fight, he kind of spilled the beans to everyone. And then I just, I couldn't get anything done. I just had nonstop people stepping in my office like, hey, how do I get abs? How do I do this? How do I do that? Like, dude, I, <laughs> this is not my department. I teach you how to choke people. That's about it. Right. All right. Well, dude, uh, what is it? Would the final record was 28 and 15 or something like that? 29? Dude, I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> Too many fights. Hold on. Hold on. Right now. Uh, I got all the fights. I don't have the, uh, the total here. I think it, I think it was like 28, 15, 28, 15. More wins than any other 55er in the history of the UFC. Uh, maybe I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I know I, I had a whole bunch of records for a little bit. Uh, I like I definitely had most bonuses. Um, I know I have I, had, I know I have forever most submission of the nights because they got rid of them. It's now called performance of the night, so they can't over, they can't overtake my record of submission of the night. So I've got that for the most. Um, I think I I, I want to say Charles Oliveira might have the most submissions in the in the lightweight division now. Um, he might have the most. He's he's got, him and Cowboy have to be close for the most wins too. But I'm, I'm right there, though. I'm, like, top three or four on, on almost every good stat you could have as far as, like, submissions and wins and finishes and, and all that kind of stuff. Is there any uh, that, like, stand out as, like, the most memorable of those fights? Um, they're, I, I have, like, they're all good. Like, even fights I lost. I, I fight, like, both Jim Miller fights were great. Um, but there's a lot of really, really good fights. Like, it's, it's like trying to pick your favorite kid. You know, like, it's just, like... There's so many like really really good moments and really really good things that happened like during fights and it made it memorable. Like uh, when I fought Kurt Warburton, um, we we worked the entire camp on slipping his right hand, coming back with our right hand. So like I slipped the right hand, I came back and hit him with my right hand, I hit him with a hook, put him down. I landed like honestly my favorite thing I've ever done in the UFC is I landed an awesome knee to his body when he was down. He was like he was like on the fence, he's trying to get up. So like and he's just like on on his elbow trying to get up, and I I reared back and hit him like lunged at him with like the biggest right knee I could possibly land, hit him right in the chest. Like, and then I jumped in like that arm lock triangle thing, uh, the Kamora triangle thing. Um, they just every fight's got some kind of moment like that that was like just something that was great. Did you ever have so you see a lot of like the the personalities coming out in the UFC now, like guys. You know, a good example is the Nate and Connor fight. You know what I mean? Where there was so much hype and really trying to, but truly, like I like, you know what I mean? Beyond what you'd see in someone like Chael doing, which is like definitely pumping up his fights and being a marketing man and a pump man. Um, those are two different personalities for sure. Like you, you take and you, they, you could tell there was legitimate dislike for the other guy. Like, yep. like, like Nate's like streetwise California attitude. 
And he didn't like, you know, Connor's kind of pompous attitude, you know, toward it's an approach towards fights and kind of the yeah. way he like always showed his money and stuff like that. Did you ever have beef with the guys that you fought? Nope. Nope, never. Um, I thought that after I fought Anthony Pettis, he allegedly kicked me in the face in Japan. Uh, I don't remember much of it or really any of it. I remember like before, I remember like walking out for the fight, but I don't remember anything after that. Uh, but he allegedly kicked me in the head. And I remember like thinking that he was kind of like a, uh, a little bit of a douchebag to me after the fight, because like, I tried to like, I remember like seeing him like in, in back room in the locker room, like, Hey man, good fight, you know, whatever. And then, and for like the longest time, I thought he was like kind of like an asshole about it. I didn't really understand. And then like, like semi recently, you know, uh, one of my guys told me, he's like, Hey, you realize, you realize why that happened? I'm like, no, he just, he was kind of like a dick. He's like, no, it's because you, you, you said that to him. You had that same thing to him about 30 times. You kept going up to him saying, hey, great, great fight, great fight. Congrats. Oh, no. And you were just, you were driving him crazy. Like, you wouldn't leave him alone. I'm like, oh, I'm like, look, that, that makes me feel like a jerk now. Um, <laughs> I don't like, no, remember that either. Yeah, I don't, no, no idea. Uh, but no, anim- uh, no animosity, like, towards anyone, like, before, after, like, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, we're, we're competing for something. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm trying to get my win money. They're trying to get theirs. Do everything I can to try and get it. You know, like, it doesn't, like... I don't hold it against them. You know, like it's, they're not, they're not a jerk. Like I've done tons of things like in the cage where I've hurt someone. I, I messed up their shoulder. Like the last kid I fought, Jonathan Pierce, like I definitely messed up his shoulder. I know he had surgery after the fight. I don't know if maybe oh he had a bad God. shoulder before, but he had a bad shoulder. You're like, but that's what, that was what he signed up for. Wait a minute. That shoulder was bad already? No, no, no I'm saying, I don't know. I don't know if he did, but uh, uh, you could see from like, the well, fight. Like, the the shoulder was really, really bad. I know he had surgery after. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's like, that's just, that's what you're signing up for. Like every fight I ever signed up for, like that's what you're getting into. It's, it's part of the game for sure. Man, yeah. that shoulder lock was crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, as jujitsu guys, yeah. and, uh, you know, I'm watching that and I'm just going, oh man, you yeah. gotta just tap, just tap, man, just be done. It's, it's weird too. Cause that's something I never done before that. But every time I grapple now, I, I find myself getting there all the time now. Yes. That's so good. I love, I love attacking like the, um, like S mount arm lock from mount. So like, I, I love it. It's like, it's my favorite attack. So, um, I, I, I try to get there all the time, but now it's like every time I, like, if I start riding up and they start trying to like, I almost like let them buck away and I get them in the same position every single time. Like it's, it's so easy to get to, but it was like, it was something I'd never done before that. I was just trying to obviously, you know, like if someone's on their back for them to get like their hips over, they have to, their hips have to, their legs have to come over. They have to scissor over each other. Right. Same thing with right. their shoulders. If your shoulders can't come over, you can't get up. So like I had, I had him in mount. I'm like, if I, if I, you know, he tried to, he pushed off the cage, he tried to buck off. And I'm like, if I, if I don't let his shoulders turn over, there's no way he can get up. He has to stay on his back. And I just stayed there. And then just because he pushed off so hard, I got both my hooks in on his, on his lower body. So now he's just, he's screwed. Like there's no way he's going to win, but he kept trying to force it. And then I got him flushed down and he's stuck here. And he's just getting just it's- bad. Bad news, yeah. Miserable. In a miserable spot. Yeah. Bad, bad way. Yep. So you got a ton of guys, like, fighting now out of your gym that you're coaching that have been had a lot of success. Yeah, it's we have a we have a really good thing down our gym. So, like, we have a lot of guys that train with us, and I, they, they're all my guys, but they're not my guys, if that makes sense. Like, they're all guys that, like, I 100%, like, I want them to win. Like, I will do everything I can to possibly help them out. Um, but like a lot of them, like, I don't necessarily always, I don't necessarily corner for them. I'm not like, I don't know if they consider me a coach. Like a lot of the guys do call me coach, even that, you know, like they're not like, they're not paying members at my gym, but we let everyone come on Saturdays. Um, you know, so, but like, I, I try to help out everyone. I just want guys in New England to do better. 
I, that's all I care about. I'm not trying to like, I'm not making it about like, oh, you, if you're going to come, you have to give me a percentage or you have to say my gym or whatever. Like I just, I want people to do well. Um, right. and, and, you know, luckily for my gym, a lot of guys do go and put like our, our logo on their shorts or their shirt and their banners and all that kind of stuff. And that, that's really cool. That's appreciated. Um, but you know, some of the guys I corner, some of the guys I don't, some of the guys I've cornered some fights and other fights I haven't like, like Rob font, like I've cornered him a couple times, but then I've not been in the corner a couple times too. Um, I haven't cornered for Calvin yet, but, uh, I definitely think he considers me a coach. So, uh, Rob definitely considers me a coach. Um, like Randy Costa, I, I manage him and I corner him and I coach him and all that kind of stuff. Like we got a lot of guys that are like, they all, everyone just shows up and works hard. Like we don't like, I don't like, there's a few people I, I wouldn't want to come to the gym, but for the most part, it's like open doors. Like anyone can come down, like we'll help you out. You know, we'll, we'll make sure you get good work. I want guys to just do well. That's it. So what's well, the schedule on Saturdays? Uh, so, so we have uh, a Nogi class that goes from 10 to 11. And then our MMA class, you started 11, but we got too many people. So now we started at 1130. That kind of lets all my, all my paying members to clear out all my kids. Cause we get some kids classes go like 930 and 1015. All those kids clear out. And then we can, you know, let all the heathens and all the barbarians that show up for team training. Uh, you know, otherwise, like, there's no parking in my parking lot. Like, it's, it gets crazy. People are like, we're in an industrial park. Are you going to park, like, down, down the street? There's so many people. Before the, uh, the, the UFC and, uh, and BA, I remember coming down. I was like, where am I supposed to park? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was just, you know, coming down to see, you know, you work with Devin and, I was yeah. like, there's no place to park, but I did, I, you know, firsthand experience, you know, being there, seeing a lot of guys that weren't necessarily your paying members there to train on Saturday and kind of get into that, you know, get the sparring done and get the workouts done with all the local fighters because it's a huge uh, kind of like session on Saturdays for local guys to get together and train with the best that are around. You know what I mean? Yep. And, I, I know you've said it to me a million times that you want the guys in New England to just, you want to see them succeed. And, uh, man, it's really true. Going down there on a Saturday, that's exactly what you see. You see, like, a lot of different logos, a lot of different academies, and nobody cares. They're just there to train hard. Yep. And it's not like I don't want their coaches to come. Like, I want I want their coaches to come. I want them to, you know, like, I'm not trying to, like, oh, no, you know, this is my spot, right? Like, I want everyone to come. Um, the big thing is, like, don't bring anyone that's going to be an asshole trainer partner. That's it. I mean, that, that's my only thing. Like, you know, there's there's been a couple people, like, over time, we've told, like, hey, maybe you shouldn't come back on a Saturday or something just because, like, they were just, they were, they were reckless or they're, like, the last thing I want, if, like, Robert Calvin are getting ready for a big fight, the last thing we want is someone that's being wild or out of control that's going to, you know, jump in there and, and jeopardize something with their fight, you know? So it's just, like, come in and be a good training partner. You know, leave your ego at the door. Like, don't, don't come in here thinking, like, because, honestly, what's going to happen to most guys, they're going to get beat up. They're going to get beat up. It's just, like, it's just – it's not that anyone's a jerk. It's just that the, the skill is, it's a deep pool. It's a deep end of the pool right away. So it's like, you're generally not going to be the best, like, or, you know, or maybe you have great standup, but your jiu-jitsu is not as good. We do, we're doing both every, every class. We start with kickboxing rounds and then we do like all the guard boxing stuff and all the, the ground upon rounds and takedowns and all that kind of stuff. And like, um, you know, it's going to like, you're, you're going to get beat up at some, at some stage of it. You're either going to get the worst of the standup because someone else has got much better standup or someone else has much better jujitsu. Like it's, it's very rare. You're going to come in here and dominate. And I think those those things have a way of taking care of themselves. Um, yeah, for sure. Guys that come in with a chip on their shoulder, uh, you know, they're coming to, like you said, like an academy that's got a deep pool of talent. Um, a lot of times you don't have to do much to intervene. It's like the situation kind of takes care of itself and you don't see that guy again. Yep. You know, and there's been, there's been guys too that like they, they started coming on a Saturday and then they wanted to like, they, they, they approach us and they want to sign up with us and they want to become a member and they want to, you know, leave their gym or whatever. You know, like, and, and I'm always like, 
always check with whatever their gym is first to just see like what the deal is. You know what I mean? Like, are you, are you okay with this? Cause like, and some gyms are great. Some gyms are like, you know what? He needs more than I can give him. You know, like your spot is going to be better for him. You know, like that's better. And that's, that's the mentality I've had about everything since the beginning. Joe Pomfrey had that for me. It's like, wherever you could go and learn more and get better, like that's what you need to do. You know, it was, so it's always like that. And I've had some people that like, you know, the gym told me, Hey, you can take him. Like, I'm not saying don't, but the kid's kind of an asshole. You don't necessarily want him. Like he's going to be a problem. You know, and I've, I've told people like, Hey, maybe this is not the best idea. You come on Saturdays. That's fine. You've been fine on Saturdays, but maybe not like, maybe don't, you know, become part of my gym and become, you know, one of my guys, you know, but, um, but overall it's been, it's been great. It's been, it's been really, really good. I see you got like, I mean, you got Cowboy Cerrone showing up there and yep. Joe Schilling, right? Yep. I think I've seen there. Yep. They both came down. Mickey Gall came down. Um, they were all, they were basically in, in, in town. They were filming a movie. Uh, actually just came out with the, the Spencer Confidential movie. Right. So um, they were, they were down there for that. They actually used my gym to, to practice all the stunts and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, but yeah, we, we had all them down here, you know, and like, again, open door, just, just come and train. You know what I mean? Like for those guys, I think we gave them a key and they would let them just come on whatever schedule they wanted. Um, you know, but it's just, it's guys that I knew, I knew prior and, and I knew they were going to not be a problem and I knew they'd be good and respectful and all that, but it was great having them down here. You know, um, it was good. It was really good. As long, as long as they take their shoes off when they're walking on the men, right? That's all you got to do. No shoes on the men. <laughs> I'm, I'm not crazy about, like, I'm not like, some people are like crazy, crazy. Are you, are you crazy about that? The no shoes on the mat thing? Uh, I mean, no there, there are definitely no shoes on the mat, but I mean, like, if you're in a construction zone and there's a lot going on, like, the accidents yeah. are going to happen and you're going to watch yeah. them after you're done. But generally speaking, it's like no shoes. My, my biggest pet peeve is, like, when a parent, like, walks in the front door and they walk right to the middle of the mat. I'm like, get off the mat. Like, <laughs> that, that drives you crazy. But, like, if someone steps on the edge, that never bothers me. When they step on the edge of the mat as they're going by or something, like that, that doesn't really bother me too much. But That's all right. That's all right. We don't run into it because our mat is elevated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that wouldn't, that, I mean, that's kind of like a, like a, like a, a lane of travel type deal. Some people are crazy about it. I remember, um, we went and filmed the UFC had us do something like that. The UFC came to Boston. They had big, me and Kenny Florian basically just like sit down. They did like interview style and they filmed us just kind of like, we, tr- we, we, we kind of grappled for the cameras a little bit, but we basically just had a conversation and they were like mental about like the staff, like the people doing cameras, but like no shoes in the mat, no shoes in the mat. Like they made able to put their shoes like outside they wouldn't like, like just clean the mats after. Like, it's not a big deal. Like it's, it's not, not like, it's two of us sitting here. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, but they were crazy about like no shoes on the mats. Though. I don't know. And that's yeah. a, it's a good, like, so we, uh, we were talking to John Anik, uh, earlier in the week or last weekend, yep. uh, recorded with him. And obviously, you know, he's pretty tight with Kenny, but mm-hmm. uh, original perspective, you and, uh, helped put, uh, submission grappling and jujitsu on the map and in, in this area. I mean, you guys were some of the early pioneers. I mean, when you guys were, you'd been training for four, five, or six years before I even like discovered jujitsu. Yep, I, I was doing like so. I I, I love jujitsu first and foremost. Like I kind of like I did MMA because they pay me to do MMA, right? But I but I love grappling. Like if if, if I wasn't running an MMA gym, I would just do grappling and jujitsu like all the time. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't even care about doing the other stuff. Um, but obviously I've had so much success with MMA. Obviously we're going to do that with my school. Um, but like, I, I love grappling. So like, I love doing like Naga tournaments or dragon lair or jumping in absolutes or, or doing whatever. I always thought that was kind of, uh, it was really fun. You know, like that was the big thing. It was just fun. 
I remember I took a seminar with you one time when you came up to um, Nostos, and yep. uh, I was so intrigued by your training schedule because you were one of the first fighters I ever saw that didn't spar all the time. Um, as far as what? As far as like um, when you weren't in camp. Yeah, like when, when you weren't in camp. Yeah, so, when you weren't so, camp, yeah. you were punched, punched in the face all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, so so I so I wouldn't call that sparring. I call it doing MMA stuff. So like we do like the guard boxing, like like the punching on the ground stuff all the time. Or we'll do like light kickboxing rounds. Well, usually when I talk about sparring, like hard sparring or, or any kind of sparring, we usually talking hard sparring. We're talking like sixteen ounce gloves, shin guards, headgear, and literally like a hundred percent effort. Like I'm trying to knock you out. You're trying to knock me out, and and, and that goes until until you connect and you hurt somebody. The second you connect and hurt somebody, you're like dead stop. You're back way off. And then get someone new in there, or pull them out, or or whatever it's going to happen. But but yeah, we we we've done we've been doing MMA rounds like forever now. Like you know, we just call it, we just talk about it as being a guard boxing, which is like you know small MMA training gloves. And but we do we do those rounds every like, twice a week, every week, like forever. What's funny about that too is that you know you say that he trains and he spars all the time. Joey is not afraid to get punched in the face. Like every time we warm up, we're in the back warming up, Devin. And the, the last thing that we do before we walk out is kind of like a mock, like sparring session sort of. And Joe is always telling Devin like, Hey, don't be afraid to punch me in the face. Like, I'm not going to break. I'm not going to break. I'm not going to break. And you see him take some raps and or just, just in the, in the effort to get Devin warm, you can tell that getting punched in the face never bothered you. Well, it's, it's different. You know what I mean? Like in, in like, I've had some fights where I got, I got rocked really, really bad and I got hurt and whatever. Right. But a lot of times when you get hit, if you try to get away, now your chin is coming up and you're in a bad posture, you're going to get it way worse. But if you're, if you're keeping your chin tucked and you're coming forward, so I'm doing it with Devin, every single time we go with Devin, my chin's tucked and I'm coming forward a little bit, it's going to hit me, but it's always top of the head and it scares off. Like it's never like, uh, he's never going to hit me in the chin because I'm never going to expose my chin. You know, like it's, and I'm, and we're not going to, I'm not getting tired to the point. Usually it's like when people get tired, the chin comes up or they try to get out of the way, the chin comes up and then you get hit and you get knocked and you get concussed. Uh, but yeah, with Devin, like he can, he could throw like pretty much hundred percent and for sh- in short spurts when I, when I know what's going on and I know what's coming, it's, he's never, ever going to hurt me. You know, just even guys bigger than me. Like I go with, like, I can go with Mike Rodriguez. Who's like fights at two Oh five, you know, and, and he can throw like pretty hard shots. And if he's talking like punches, never going to, never going to hurt me. I'm going to s- slip inside. I'm going to take it off. It's going to skirt off me whatever. Right. It's a little easier. Uh, your your mentality when it comes to you know if you get knocked down you get the opportunity to stand up yeah and you're like I'm probably yeah. gonna get hit yeah <laughs> my mouthpiece and yeah see what so the, the big thing there is like if you're on the ground you got to get back up just bite your mouthpiece tuck your chin mm-hmm. you know it's coming right you know guys get usually guys get knocked out because it's like they're they're caught breathing out or they're caught again moving their chin up or bringing the head up or trying to get away you know what I mean like there's there's, there's two ways to go. You could shell up and just make sure you get hit, but not get hit bad. Mm-hmm. Or there's like staying a little space and slipping off a little bit and doing whatever. But you slip off. If, if you don't get off just right, you're getting way worse. Uh, when I fought Michael Johnson, like uh, before that fight, like we, we were trying to really, we spent the entire camp working on trying to break like the shelling habit, which is just getting here. And like, you know, eating, you know, taking too many punches, letting someone just get off too offensively, you know, because if you don't give them a reason to not punch back, they're going to keep on attacking. So they just attack, attack, attack. You're just taking it, taking it, taking it. So we spent the entire camp on like working on like, you know, covering up a little bit, but slipping and coming back with punches or slipping and coming back with punches. So then of course in the fight, right off the bat, 
I try to slip off a punch and he's better than me. So he cracks me with a punch and concusses me. And, and it just, it went, it was a, it was a, a shit show for the rest of the, for the next three rounds. But, um, but like, that was just one of those things we tried to get better and it just, it didn't, it didn't work out. And we took a chance and his skill set was much better than mine in that case. So you're like, you're coaching a lot of people. You're like the mentor to New England MMA. You still got the passion to fight? Uh, yeah, I definitely have the passion. It's just, it comes down to like what makes the most sense, right? So um, like I'm, every camp, like if I had bad cardio, it wasn't because I was being a lazy, you know, a lazy bag of crap. It was because I, I generally had some kind of injury. I got hurt, right? I hurt my back. I hurt my knee. I hurt my neck. I hurt my something. So um, it's just like the last fight was so perfect. Like you roll the dice and you let try like you can't do it better than the last time. You know, like maybe you don't try to do it better. Maybe you just try to do another one. Like, but it's like I had uh, I fought in Boston. I fought great. The fight went great. I didn't get hurt at all. Um, it was a great way to go out. Like I was so unhappy with how the previous fight had gone. If that had been my last fight, it would have been like it would have killed me forever. Um, so now because I had such a good fight for the last one, it's like, I don't know if I really want to, if I really want to risk it. Um, (laughs) if this coronavirus kills my gym, I'll definitely be fighting again. (laughs) Um, but I, I I don't know. Like, um, I, I like the idea of fighting. I just don't know how well it worked out. What what might happen is I might tell the UFC, like I talked to them, like maybe like a month and a half ago and they asked like what I wanted to do. Like if I plan on fighting again or, or what, and I'm like, send me names. Because like if they send me names and I really like the matchup, I will 100% fight again. Um, but I don't I don't have to fight, so I don't like if I don't like the name, I'm just like yeah, no, I'm not I'm not interested in that guy. Give me someone else. And it, they might be like, oh, you gotta wait three months. I'm like all right, that's fine. That's I'm not I'm not rush. If right. you if, if if things line up just right and they give me like a great name or a name that I like, then I'll do it. If I, if they right. don't, then I won't. I'll just keep I'll keep peeing in cups when Usada comes around. That's really the <laughs> only downside. Like it's. Do you want it? Do you want to keep having to report stuff to Usada? Like, sure, that doesn't bother me. I don't care. You know, They're not testing for Swedish fish, Alfredo <laughs> sauce, whatever. <laughs> I have Swedish fish here somewhere. It's um, it's interesting too, though, like the concept of rolling the dice, right? Because you do it enough times, and you're gonna get the result that you don't want. Yeah. Um, and it's not. It, it it has nothing to do with the opponent either. Like you could, you know, you could fight good fights, and but. Um, you get older, like, you know, every, yeah. every, every athlete gets older and like more likely to get hurt in the ring, whether it's something impactful, like, like a shot or like a kick, a knee, a punch, an elbow, or if it's like, Hey, like even Macy Barber, like young kid, you know, takes a bad fall, like tear your ACL, like that's all possible. Right. Yep. And, and like, and something like that doesn't bother me so much. Like, like honestly, like I thought tearing my ACL was like not a big deal at all. Like, I really didn't think it was that big of a deal. Like it's, it's unfortunate that like you're, you're sidelined for so long, but aside from that, like the rehab was easy. The, the hardest part was the, the weight that the hardest part was like, okay. I, so I, I basically couldn't train hard for like six months. I told my ACL in like March. I think I, I was training. I think I was training pretty good in August, like five months later. Um, and then I got the go ahead to train again and I took a fight for December. <laughs> So like the, the, my surgeon was not that happy that I fought 10 months after. Like, he's like, I told you, you could, you were cleared. I didn't mean to go and book a fight like in like a month and a half. Um, but like, it, the, the, so that, that part doesn't really, that's not a big deal to me. Like breaking your hand, like it sucks. It's not that big of a deal. Um, it's more so like the, the prolonged head trauma, I think is like the bigger thing. Like, and I'm, um, right. I don't like, I'm not going to say I've had zero 
head trauma, obviously. But, um, you know, obviously I've been hitting the head a whole lot, but I don't feel like I'm not like, I'm not drooling over myself. I'm not screwing up my words. I'm not like awful about, you know, names. Like I was, I was always bad at names, but I'm not awful at names because of the, of the get hit in the head. Um, so, um, I don't know. I, I think, I think that's like the bigger concern though, as far as like, you know, like, as like, I've just had 27 fights in the UFC. I've sparred like X number of times per camp, you know, like so many rounds, how many times you get in the round? Like I've, I think I, we figured I've done like 4,000 rounds or something stupid, 4,000 minutes of training. I think something like that, um, for hard sparring rounds. That's like me trying to knock them out. Them trying to knock me out. And that was just outside the fights, you know, like it's, it's been a, it's been a lot of, a lot of training camps, a lot of rounds. Um, but I feel good. I mean, I feel good, but you know, it's like, I feel good till I don't feel good. You know, I want to, I want to keep feeling good. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I like how serious you are with the concussions. You know, if someone gets concussed, it's like, okay, you got to take a break. You yep. can't just, yeah. So we had one, one of our guys was doing rounds with Calvin. Uh, it was probably like a month and a half ago, almost two months ago now. And going with Calvin and gets hit with a, gets hit with a pretty good right hand. Like he was bringing it to Calvin a little bit, putting some pressure on Calvin. Calvin responded <laughs> with a good right hand. You know, basically like knocked him down. Kid got right back up, you know, but we, we pulled him out. He wanted to keep going. We pulled him out though. And, um, and like for like 10 minutes, he kept arguing. He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I can keep going. I'm like, nope, nope. You're done. You're done. You're done. And, and I know I'm not going to let him spar for like a month and a half, two months. But he doesn't know this yet. Right. And like, but he's like, he's arguing with me nonstop. He wants to go like right now. I'm like, dude, no, just relax, relax. We'll talk about after, we'll talk about after. And then like three hours later, four hours later, he texts like, good decision. Like, yeah, I'm feeling a little, a little, a little foggy. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, dude, I, I understand. Like, this is like, this is why we're, we're looking out for you, you know? And then like, um, you know, and like even like a month later, he's like, yeah, he's like, that was, that was the right decision. He's like, I definitely, I want to train more, but you've obviously been there. You know, you know more, you've been there. Like you get it. I'm glad I listened to you. I'm glad you were there. So, um, you have to be smart. Like I, I've, I've had a couple fights where like, before I fought Jeremy Stevens, I got a concussion, like maybe like 40 days out from the fight. And I was, uh, we did our rounds and then I definitely got rocked. I, I had no mouth guard. I'm a dummy. I had no mouth guard that day. Cause we we're supposed to spar. Like we generally spar twice a week and I lost my mouth guard. So we missed one sparring session. So then for the next sparring session, I still couldn't find mouth guard, but I didn't realize until like I was looking at my bag for it. I just didn't have it. Like, and then, uh, I'm like, F it. Like, I'm just gonna, we'll just spar. Just, I'll, I'll be smart. And of course I get into a brawl during the sparring session. I get a concussion and then I'm all wrapped up and, um, I'm like, I'm in the cage and I, I take off my gloves and I, I still have my headgear on and I go to my coach. I'm like, Hey, when, uh, we're going to do, we're going to do four fours around. Like, when are we going to start? He's like, we just finished. Like wow. you're not, no, that's not, you got a concussion. No, you're not going to go. So this is like 40 days off from the fight. So then I'm looking for my phone trick. Cause I'm trying to call my ex-girlfriend. I broke up with like two months prior or a month prior. Like, uh, nope, take my phone away. Don't let me do anything. Take me to the, take me to the hospital, get looked out. Everything's fine. And, um, so, but that was like 40 days out. So like that entire camp, we did not like, didn't do anything. I had no, I didn't have a single punch come back to me. We did like, um, for the next like two weeks, I did nothing but mitts. And then for like, um, I think we had like a week, one week of like, you know, doing a little bit of grappling, a little bit of takedown stuff. And then, then we fought and, you know, it was great. But like, you've got to be smart about stuff. And like, I think so many guys are like, I cringe when I see like guys like they get knocked down and the coaches tell them like shake it off and you know take the round off or get back in or keep going like dude you're like this is awful like it's have like, you learned nothing from like yeah. the science here yeah you know and 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 I don't like and I I try to get preach about this but like so I don't drink alcohol right I just never drank I just never started right I was I was sixteen I started doing jiu I was eighteen I started fighting I just I was always fighting I always had a fight coming up so I just never started drinking 
So, um, but I, I can't help but think that that must be such a big part of it because what does everyone go and do? If, if Devin Powell goes and fights, what's he going to do? He's going to go and fight, and then he's going to go get shit-faced after the fight, right? It's like every fighter does the same thing. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Every fighter every fighter does the same thing. They, they, they go out, they, they get knocked out or whatever they do, and they go outside pounding beers, or they spend the next two weeks being hungover. It's like even if you win the fight, you, you still took you know, trauma to your brain. You know, I, I fight and I'm going to like, I'm getting like in and out burger and milkshakes after, you know what I mean? Like there's right. such a difference. A lot of ice cream, a lot of ice cream, a lot of pasta, a lot of Alfredo sauce, um, a lot of brownies, cookies, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But like, but like, I, I can't help but think that, you know, like, you know, a lot of the concussion stuff is guys that are like, they're going like, you know, think about every football movie you've ever seen. Guys are getting concussions on Friday and they go and party and being, you know, trashed on Friday night. It's like, that can't help when you're talking about, you're taking trauma to your brain and then you're going flooded with alcohol. Mm-hmm. you know poison so uh, i try to get preachy about it but i i definitely think that that's played a, a role in like as far as like you know dealing with you know getting head tra- taking head trauma and then you know not you know drowning in alcohol i agree and i and i it kind of leads into like a topic i wanted to bring up with you because obviously you're you know that you you have an impression on the fighters that you come into contact with that you help with the training with to drive some of the stuff that's made you successful right and there's that that transition from being a fighter and we've all seen you in the cage. So we like kind of know exactly what you're capable of doing in the cage. We've seen it time and time again. I, you know, I, I grew up watching you grapple in the, in the local New England area, uh, New England area. But then uh, what a lot of people don't see is kind of your coaching techniques. And I've had obviously the privilege to kind of sit next to you and, and, and corner some fighters and see how you behave before uh, these big events and kind of during and after and kind of how you switch things up in, in between rounds. And I kind of get, uh, a, a much better sense for your fighter IQ. Um, and so I guess my question is with all that background, you know what I mean? Where is that balance for you? When did you, cause it seems like, you know, obviously you're a little bit later in your career and you're focusing a little bit more on training folks, but you know, you got really high level jujitsu, you're training a lot of high level guys like an MMA and those guys are being successful. What, how did that transition work for you? Um, so since the beginning, like even before I was like, so like it's, it's lows on MMA now. Right. So it's like what how, that came about because, so I was, I was fighting the UFC then I went to Hawaii for a while training with BJ Penn. I came back and I, I wasn't working at the time. I was basically just, just training. And I was kind of like, I was kind of running most of the, the, the team training practices and I was running like classes and then like the natural progression for me was to start up my own school. And but I felt like if I if I went and started up my own school, I would have like completely like eviscerated the school we were at. Like I would have had so many people come with me. And Joe Pomfret was like he's been like a dad to me since I was 16 years old, right? Like um, I didn't want that to like hinder him, and I didn't want to like take away from his gym and things like that. And I kind of told him what I wanted to do. Um, you know, like he knew I was thinking about it and like this, and he offered to bring me in as like a as a partner. So like I'm, I'm the majority partner at Lozano May now, but Joe Pomfret's my partner at the gym. Uh, and it just, it worked out great for everybody. And I started with a student base a little bit and, you know, and I've been, but I've been doing it all along at that time. So it was really easy for me to kind of just take over. Like I just never really stopped being a coach. Like I was a coach from like the beginning, even like before I was in the UFC, I was kind of coaching all of our guys. And, um, and then just as I got better, you know, my coaches got my, my, my students got better and I got better and my students got better. I just kind of dragged them up and along, you know, and like, you know, we've had a bunch of guys that like, you know, um, so like I got to the UFC, I had no training prior, right? Then we got my brother to the UFC, he had no training prior. We got Joe Proctor to the UFC, he had no training prior. Um, we got Chuck O'Neill, who he was with us until we made him take a break from our gym. He went to South Shore, and then his next fight was in the UFC. 
So we're take, we'll take a little bit of credit for Chuck. Um, <laughs> but Chuck got to the UFC pretty much with, with us with no training prior. Um, you know, Jimmy Quinlan had been training match BJJ, but he trained with us a little bit too. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we, we contributed there. Tom Waller got, got to the UFC, you know, from training with us for the most part. Um, Mike Rodriguez had done a little bit of Muay Thai before, but we got him to the UFC. We got Randy Costa to the UFC. Uh, we just gotten we brought so many people that kind of through the ranks and like but it started out at the beginning like it was like okay let's let's coach guys to do well at Naga oh you want you want in novice division awesome that's good and it's like okay you want to intermediate and you just and then you're winning local fights and now you're winning like some decent regional fights and now you get to the UFC and fighting worldwide and like it just it kind of just happened just like it was a natural progression like as I got better the guys kind of followed me and I could I could coach them up you know um, but it just it just it was very very natural. Like I was even like when I was actively fighting all the time, I was still coaching guys. It just that now it's like, I, because I've gotten like when I was in the UFC, I had guys fighting locally and winning all the time. But now like more people are seeing what's going on. Cause now the guys I'm seeing are fire on TV more. When did you become a partner in the gym? Uh, so we just be, uh, we just had like our, it'll be 11 years, uh, like May, I think maybe 11 years in May. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite fighter? Uh, BJ Penn. BJ? BJ Penn. Yep, he's the best. Uh, I, I, it, it hurts me when I see like all the stuff going on with him now because it just, it just sucks. But, uh, but BJ's he's my, he's my boy, he's my, fan. my fan. You should see that at, at events together. They just like the chatterboxes. They're over there talking. <laughs> the whole day will just pass by, Good. and Joey and BJ will just sit there, yep. happy as he says he's not social. When he's around BJ, he's social. Yeah. <laughs> dude. Um, but you mentioned, you know, what's interesting is you, but you brought up Jimmy Quinlan and obviously he's from the, you know, you went to, to college in Bridgewater and I know you've gotten a chance to train with him a lot. He was another guy that went through the ultimate fighter piece and also another guy who always loved the jujitsu stuff yep. more than actually fighting. And you could see it in like, you know, in his, in his early fights, like, I'm not sure that he threw that many punches at all. No. You know, he'd double the guy down, pound him out, he'd turn over, he'd choke him. That'd be, the, that would be it. Yep. It reminds me, like you brought him up and it reminds me of like you talking about kind of like fighting gens. You're like, you know, I, I didn't want to box with him. I just wanted to take him down and submit him. Yep. It seemed to be Jimmy's way too. And Jimmy always said like, I, I just fought cause everyone told me I should. And, but I really yep. just, want to do so. yep. I think, I think Jimmy and I are a little different though. Like I think Jimmy really doesn't like, like, I'm not going to say I like to get hit, but Jimmy dislikes being hit more than I like this. I dislike being hit. Right. Like he's like a little bit, like, he's not that he's scared to get hit, but like, let me make a note. Jimmy is scared. Jimmy is scared. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, like, so most people you get hit, right? You're going to do one of two things. Either you're going to swing back or you're going to shoot, right? Everyone does the same thing. Like every, everyone has one of those two things. Like, everyone's the same exact way. Right. So like, you're, you get tagged, you swing back or you shoot. That, that's all there is. There's only two options. You know what I mean? And Jimmy will always, he would always shoot. I would always swing back. Right. Uh, Randy cost is kind of similar. Right. He wants to be like this stand-up guy, but like his two fights ago, two, yeah, two fights ago, he, he had a great fight. Like it was, I think he got, uh, he got submitted in the second round, I think. Um, but it was like a back and forth in the first round was a great fight. He was having a great time, got hit with a big knee to the body and then he shot. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, it's like, so like we always tell him like, you know, you need to, you need to like focus on like jujitsu. Like jujitsu is like such a big part of what's going on. And he likes doing kickboxing. He likes doing wrestling, you know, but he doesn't like doing as much time with actual jujitsu. Um, you know, it's like, dude, like when you got tagged and you shot, that means that like, forever you're going to shoot. When you get hurt, you're going to shoot. You need to work on jujitsu more, you know, mm-hmm. but like Jimmy would shoot just like Randy would, but I, I just, I happen to swim. 
just the way it goes. The way everyone reacts is a little different. Yep. Yep. What do you think? Uh, what do you think your toughest fight was? Um, toughest in which regard? Actually, actually, let me do this. Toughest fight that you won. The toughest fight that I won. Uh, Jamie Varner for sure. We got fight of the night. I got submission of the night. I triangled him. Uh, I. So now again, so we're talking about like studying film. There's that. He breaks his hands all the time. Like he had broken his hand like quite a few times like prior. Like that was always his big thing. Like his his biggest downfall was breaking his hands. So we knew going into the fight that, you know, like if I, if I am aggressive and I let him keep punching me in the top of the head, he will break his hands. So like I had no fear that he was going to knock me out in that fight. Like I knew he had good standup. I knew he had good wrestling, but I knew that if I, if I kept my head tucked and I kept coming forward, he would be forced to keep throwing punches. He would hit the top of my head. He would break his hand at some point. Um, and that was kind of like our, it was kind of our strategy. You know, it's kind of make him break his hand on top of my head. You know, and it, it worked out. Strategy from the movie Gladiator. No, have you ever, have you ever seen that movie? I've seen Gladiator. When's that in the? Not, not the one with the. Uh, not Ryan the one with Crow, but, Oh no, uh, no, 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 no! I haven't seen that one. Warrior, like, Warrior, right? Is it Warrior? No, it's a way long time okay, ago. No, I don't think so. Brian Dennehy, is that who was in it? I don't it? think so. Think that's him. Yeah. He tells the guy, he's like, "Put your head down, <laughs> and take the punch on the top of your head to break his hand." So, um, you know, so like we had Ricky Landell out for, um. For, for that camp. So, like, he came out a little bit. So, like, and the big thing was that we had an awesome sweep on him, like, on Jamie Varner because he would shoot a blast double a lot. So, we got double overhooks. Head was underneath, too. And we basically talked about how, like, you start tilting someone off the side, and he's got to make a decision. Either he's going to hang on your legs, and he's going to get swept, or he's going to base out with his arms so he doesn't get swept, and then he can't hold on to your legs, so then you go belly down, and you come back up. And, like, so we just, we drilled the hell out of that um, for the entire camp. Like, that we did, like, like I, I was probably doing, like, 50 or 60 reps of that every single day for like two or three months, right? We're just repping it, repping it, repping it, repping it. And then, so I fight Jamie Varner and like, we have like this back and forth brawl, right? But I just keep coming forward. So he can't ever really get his space off to, to land good shots. It's kind of like, just like, it, it, there's, there's an awesome highlight. Um, there's like a, a little clip of the fight where like, we're just banging on each other and like hitting each other. And like, uh, you know, I, I hit him with like a hook and kind of knock him down. I tackle him and just like, we're like literally like falling over on top of each other. We're so, we're both so tired and just being so like, kind of reckless abandoned with, with punches. But that was kind of my strategy is to just get in on him and not, not like I wasn't going to beat him in a boxing match. I was going to beat him in a brawl. You know, like I had to like force the takedowns and, and force the scrambles and things like that. Um, you know, so it was a, it was a, a really back and forth, probably first round. I think I, I had the first round. I think I had the second round, but then going to the third, like, you know, I knew he had a, a broken hand by that point. I just kept coming forward, kept coming forward. He shot, I swept him, triangled him. It was awesome. It's a, uh, a a tough strategy, right? Like you gotta you gotta be in it for the long haul, right? If that's the strategy going in, again, s- same as like the Devin thing. Like you know, you're talking about me getting punched by Devin. It's the same thing. Like it's the same, really the same thing. I'm just I'm, I was confident if I kept my head tucked and I came forward, like yeah, he's gonna throw a lot of punches, but he's gonna I, I he has fragile hands. He's gonna break his hand. So it worked yeah. out. Crazy. The uh, I would say you should go check out Gladiator, dude. It's I'll like check it out. 80s, 90s movie. It, I remember it as being awesome, but I don't know if it holds <laughs> up. Let's we'll see. Uh, I mean, we got, I got a lot of downtime with all this coronavirus. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely I'll check it out. I'll find it. So Gladiator, it's the older version. Okay, I'll check it out. Billy Jr. in it. Yeah. It's a pretty good flick. All right, so we've been asking this question, too, to, like, uh, what's your favorite martial arts movie? Um, my favorite martial arts movie, Three Ninjas. Three ninjas. Yeah. So me and my brothers, uh, so I got two brothers. So we had three ninjas. So like, so we always Rocky, Colt, and Tum Tum. Is that with Rocky. Chris Farley? 
I'm serious, Barley's in it. No, I don't think so. Oh, I'm thinking Beverly Hills. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no. So Three Ninjas is basically about these um, these three little brothers, right? And and they're like they're probably like six, eight, and ten or something like that, right? And like um, their grandfather like takes them for the summer and trains them to be ninjas and all this other stuff. Um, and then um, their mother or their father was like the obviously the, the the grandfather's kid or something like that and like they were like a high level like martial artist or something like that but they're like a business person now and like they go to their grandfather's to go and do karate on like for the summer um and like but then there would always be like some like some guy that had all kinds of money that was trying to do something the three ninjas would have to go and take care of it and save the day it was like but it was awesome it was like we used to watch it all the time like with my brothers cool. it was great what um what was it like working with uh with Ricky Lundell? Like I, I think most people, if you're if you're listening to the podcast, you probably see them come across your Instagram feed or something. They they, they get one percent better every day guy, but yeah. really um, multifaceted athlete, pretty smart guy, great wrestler, crazy athletic, right? Like very athletic, mm-hmm. yeah, very very um very motivated, like very like committed to doing whatever he's going to do. Um, definitely one of the best guys I've ever trained with as far as like grappling ability, like because. So he, he started doing jiu-jitsu when he was, like, super young. Like, I don't know, like, really, really young uh, with Pedro Sauer. And then he was, like, a black belt at, like, 18. And then he wrestled um, at, like um, – I think the story goes that he was, like, recruited by Kale Sanderson to, to basically be a, a training partner for his brother or something like – his little brother or something like that. I guess Kyler maybe. Um, you know, so Ricky had, like – he was one of the first guys that had, like, really, really good jiu-jitsu and then added wrestling, like, really high-level wrestling to it. And he just, like – um, I don't, I don't want to say it's like OCD, but almost like a level of like OCD about having to do things perfectly and drill and all this other stuff. So like for a, a few fight camps, we, uh, we had Ricky out and he basically come out for like, so I met Ricky because, so my, my boxing coach is Steve Mays, right? So J- Jimmy Gifford, it was, uh, basically was brought out to Vegas to be a, a boxing coach for Dana White when Dana was going to do that gra- that boxing match with Tito. So Dana was out there and, 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 uh, Jimmy Gifford was out there with Dana and, you know, started working on a whole bunch of, like, the, the Fertitas and, you know, holding, holding mitts and, you know, basically like a, uh, a personal boxing coach for, like, you know, most of the UFC staff. And he started working with some fighters out there, too. So he started working out with Frank Mir. And I was, out, I was out in Vegas for, like, one of the, like, a UFC fighter summit or something like that. And I brought, like, my gloves because I had a fight coming up. So Mays worked out with Jimmy, uh, with Gif, that I would, um, I could go out there and I hit mitts so I could at least get a workout in while I was out there. So I go out there. And Gift tells me like, oh, you know, bring your bring your mitt, uh, bring your your training gloves because your yeah, MMA gloves because Frank Mir's coach is out here, and you can do some grappling and do some MMA rounds with him. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, no, thank you. I'm not I'm not gonna go do rounds with Frank Mir's grappling coach. Like I'm freaking he's gonna be a monster, right? <laughs> so then uh, Gift picks me up downstairs, and I, I intentionally left my gloves up in the room, right? I'm like, I'm not gonna bring. It. Like, oh, I forgot them. No big deal. And he's like, oh, no, no, was like, you have to go up again. So he, he sat downstairs and made me go upstairs and get, like, so I went up to him, I got the gloves. And he's like, he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. He's little. He's way smaller than you. And this time, Ricky was like 150 pounds, 145 pounds, something like that. And um, so, like, I, I just hit it off with Ricky right off the bat. Like, we, you know, I liked, you know, I liked um, his, his, like, his theory and strategy and things like that and, like, how he, like, drilling. Like, he kind of took, like, the, um, the smart, efficient techniques of jujitsu. But he drilled them with the intensity and the work ethic of a, of a high-level wrestler, right? Which is way different. Like, most people, like, they want to do jiu-jitsu because they want to be, like, lazy and they want to do, like, minimal effort. Like, oh, use your weight. Use your this. Use your, you know what I mean? Like, to, you know, use as little energy as possible, which is great. But now he's, like, this, like, this workhorse of an athlete that's using, like, really efficient technique at the same time. It's just, like, it was a really, really good mix. 
So we brought Ricky out for uh, a couple a couple trips. Um, basically, we bring him out for a whole bunch to work on, drill on, you make sure I was doing it right. He would go home, and he would, um, you know, I would I would keep drilling it, drilling it with my guys, you know, because he would basically coach me and my guys on how to how it should all be done and what to watch and common mistakes. And then home, and then I would I work on it for the rest of the camp. And then you know he'd come off fight week, and we'd go back to we'd just keep drilling it and keep working on fight week, and worked out pretty well for a little bit. Wasn't he coaching wrestling at the high school that the Fertitta brother? Uh, yep. So he was he was coaching wrestling at Bishop Gorman yeah. um, for for a while. So uh, yeah, so yeah, and and that came from you know Dan and Lorenzo and and Giff and all that kind of stuff like that that connection. He's very very good at like kind of stuff. What's what's your favorite video game of all time? Ooh. Um, good question. Uh, I, I like would have said until a little while ago. I would have said Zelda: Ocarina of Time, but I think Breath of the Wild. I think Breath of the Wild beats it on the Switch. Uh, so I, I would go Breath of the Wild: Ocarina of Time. I have a, I have a, there was a reason why I asked this question because okay. the guy right. you haven't met who, who yeah. showed up fashionably late. He's a big yeah. video game guy. I like Riddler. <laughs> What's up, George? <laughs> <laughs> you, don't have to me. you guys sound great without me. It's all good. I but can't refuse. You played Breath of the Wild? You in. Yeah, have you come played? on, Breath of the Wild. Are you crazy? Like, like, plus, you know, gamers go down different paths, right? Some people are all yeah. online shit, and they're all World of Warcraft or whatever that is. Some people go down the PS4, and it's all slick, and everything's super expensive and cool, right? Some people are like sports guys, yeah. like that. If yeah. you buy a Switch, you're kind of, you're already, like, going down that, that, that awesome road of, like... No, I'll, give, I'll give, give you a heartbreaking story. So, like, when I came on, I bought a Switch, right? Now... Of course, I knew there was going to be high demand. I buy like three switches, and I, like I was going to have one, and I was basically going to sell the other three and just money to cover my my my, my own switch, right? I do <laughs> all all my all my pre-orders got canceled except for the one, so I ended up having one. I was happy that I got my one, but I ordered like one from GameStop and one from Best Buy and one from Amazon and all these different things, you know, because I just know how that 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 black market video game stuff goes. So, um, so that was the first horrible issue. With, with the Switch, right? which wasn't that horrible. But then I played a ton of uh, Breath of the Wild, right? I played like hundreds of hours, maybe like 200 hours of it, right? Over, over like a while, right? Um, I had like the pro, the pro dock. I had everything. I was I played monitor. Like I never played on the Switch. Like played on a big monitor. It was, I love the game. It was before all the, the, the cloud backup stuff happened, right? So I, the, only, the only save I had was like the, the physical copy. Oh, so shit. I had a fight camp. I, I had a fight camp. Uh, we had fight camp. I had the fight. Uh, I was, I, I laid off with like all the fight camp and I brought it on fight week. I'm like, Oh, this would be good. I'll just play this, you know, whatever. And I, I, I lost at some point. I don't know. We had an Airbnb. I don't know if it got one like in and they, they stole it while we were there. Or if I packed it, or I just, I knew I had it at the, the Airbnb. And then I know when we, went, when we got home, I, I couldn't find it anywhere. I don't know if I lost it on the plane or what, but like I lost, I, I don't even care that I lost the, like the $400 switch. Like that sucks a little bit, but I lost my save. The save. I can, oh, yeah. I was thinking I about that. I can never too. get it back. It's gone forever. Heartbreak. Are you going to do it again? Uh, I, I, I won't. Not, not for this game. Cause there's, I, I had, I had everything. I had like, I'd gotten everything upgraded to the maximum level pretty much. Like I had so much. Um, I, I can't go back and play the same game again, but I'm, I'm dying. Like, I'm, I'm going to buy another Switch the second that the, they're making another one, I think. The, the second the next one comes out, I'll, I'll play the hell out of it. Yeah, are you, are you an Animal Crossing dude or not? 
I haven't done Animal Crossing. I, I thought about it a little bit. Uh, I've been playing tons of Warzone, though. But I, I thought about yeah. playing Animal Crossing because it just – I figured it would be, like, a good kind of game to just kind of dick around in and not really worry about it too much, like nothing serious. And yeah, then I, I played a lot of Warzone in the last couple of days, though. Wow, man. Let me ask you one more, and you can go back to uh, these guys here. <laughs> how, how old is your oldest? Do you mind if I ask? Do you have, like, yeah, yeah. a teenager, or do you have, like, you know, no, younger so kids? Joey, Joey's six. So I'm six and uh, two. Great. So you, you, he's not better at you than any of your oh, yeah, no. video games yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> it's a heartbreaker, man. It's Good. a heartbreaker. It's bad enough. Because you know when they get huge, at some point they're going to beat you at some yeah. You know, sport you shell like Before I can't play basketball to save my ass. Yep. But when they started beating me at, at fucking Mortal Kombat and then like going right through it, you know, so and then one, when they got me at Tekken, which is like my game, I yeah. just, I had to like, it's, hang it up. that's a tough L. No, no, fuck that. Hang up. It's just a, it's an L. It's an L. One of, one of, one of, uh, one of our, our, our new E black belts, uh, Matt Waddell, he trains at our gym and his son Jaden's like 14 or 13 or something. Um, and he is so much better at video games than we are. Like whether it's like Fortnite or like Warzone, but it's like like sometimes I'll text I'll text Matt and I'll be like, hey Matt, is uh is Jaden is he around? Is he playing any Xbox? Like I don't want to play with Matt. I want to play with his son because his son <laughs> is just so he carries us. Like you know, a lot of the games are like three player. It's like me and Matt will play and Jaden will carry us and like we'll end up winning because his his kid's just a beast. Yeah, the kid gives me the sigh and he'll be yeah. like, yeah, 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 you can play. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> fine i'll go play with my old guy friends yeah, or, something. or like so like we're, we're struggling like we got like we've been playing i've been playing a lot of warzone but i think we have like i have like less than 10 wins like six or seven wins or something like that right like jaden's got that many wins and like but now he's not even trying to just win he's trying to win like a pistols only or like you know it's just like get out of here like you gotta you're too good get out yeah of here. It, it's it's getting beat up by the guy who has his hand taped to his yeah. arm yeah 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 tough pill to fall what Sorry, George, you, you opened it up, George. No, I, listen, I knew what I was getting into. Now, Riddler, you would never bring this up, but please just remind me. Tell me, what, what was your voice in the League of Legends? What was the name? I have two characters. I was the original audio director on that, and I wrote all the music at the beginning, oh, which was a long time ago. But this little guy right here. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's Blitzcrank, and, and the other guy is uh, in Ramus. But to be honest, like that was easy. That was like less than an hour's worth of work. So you did the voice work for those guys? Uh, my company, I, I myself recorded the people that were the most of the voices. Some of them were okay. uh, there before I came in. I'm actually only the voice of two of the original characters. But, uh, but myself and this intern, basically, we had no idea how big that game was going to be. It's, it a like huge, it's the biggest game in the world, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it was, but uh, the company that bought it just made another game, which I was lucky to work on, too, which is in uh, Chinese, which I can't pronounce, which is now bigger because of the billions of people who play it in China. So okay, it's pretty scary to it's think. It's pretty awesome, though. But it's, uh, I'm, I'm a lucky guy. I, I, get to, I see on Reddit all the time, like, there'll be, like, the actors that play, like, so I played a lot of Apex, too. So, like, the guy that played, like, Pathfinder or these other guys, and, like, they, they, they do commentary, and they just, like, they're, they're, they're talking in, like, their, their Pathfinder voice or whatever, like, talking to people, people are freaking the fuck out because they don't, they don't realize it's, it's actually him. They think it's just, like, a pre-recorded line or something. It's just, like, it's crazy. It's awesome. Maybe, like, yeah, a I've, superpower. I tried doing that a little – not that kind of depth, but just dip my yep. foot into it a little bit. Yeah. And I can't handle the, uh, the hate 
you know, that you get yeah, in yeah. chat, like yeah. how many people are going to tell me to fucking die in a fire, uninstall, yeah, yeah. reinstall, and then die yeah. in fire again yeah. and uninstall again. Like, you know what? It's not the way. It's pretty bad. It's coming. The day we do the, uh, that anybody can join the podcast thing. I'm ready for that. <laughs> uh, what about street fighter two? No first person, like our, like a one-on-one versus fighters. Joe, I don't, I don't Joe, play too many games anymore. You're going to watch your answer here because Jay plays one game well, and he's actually pretty good at Street Fighter 2. Yeah, I, I don't – I play, like – I like the shooter games. So, like, I like Fortnite. I like Apex. I like uh, – the Call of Duty Warzone is really good. That's what we've been playing a whole bunch. Um, but I, that's pretty I, – I basically stick to shooters for the most part. I like Fallout 4. I played a ton awesome. of that. Uh, I played a ton of Skyrim. Um I played I played Spider Man on PS4. I thought that game was incredible. That was my game, was second really game of the year. Yeah. yeah, I got I got one more for this guy. If you don't mind me asking, how many do people send you videos of themselves beating the fuck out of you in UFC? Uh, almost always of me winning. I, Damn, I do get so some, they don't they don't troll you by just. You know, I do no, they do a little bit. They do a little bit, but but I get way more people like oh like you know. The you know like, uh, the only guy I ever win with is Joe Lozon or the oh, yeah. just, it's I get like also like for whatever reason I get tons of messages from like Russians and like I can't I have no goddamn idea what they're saying <laughs> at all I can't like I can't easily translate it. it's usually it's on like Instagram right so like I can't easily translate it. sometimes like on a post you can hit that the C translation you can see what it's gonna say but you can't see that on messages right so it's, it's like. I don't, I don't know what they're saying, but I, I get pictures and, 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 you know, videos and like all the time. There's so many like fan accounts of me, like as like Russians, like they, they slowly, they slightly tweak my name. They'll do like L-O-U-Z-O-N or something like that. Like I, I have no idea, but Russians love me, I think. Do you ever play the game? Have you ever played as you? Um, I, played, I played the first one when it, when it came out and like those games were never really my, my game. Like I kind of liked them, but I think the first ones were not that good. I think they've gotten a lot better. But I never really got into them that much. Like I, I play them a couple times when they first came up with it. I, I haven't played like the last like three games I've been in, though. I haven't played them at all. The striking, I, I me- the striking mechanic for those games is really smooth and it's really getting good. The grappling mechanic that is still total shit. It's yeah, like it was, watching lines. Yep. I have all of them up here, and my friends yep. will come over. We just turn all that off, and you just use how how hard you hit X yep. is who wins the grappling. And me and my friends used to always like um, like the kids that started doing like jujitsu on the trampoline with like back in the day. Uh, we would get together. We play like you know WCW versus the Worlds, or WCW and WO, or like whatever is going to be. Like there was like a, a whole bunch of games. Like we would like we would WrestleMania 2000. We would like stay up like literally all night playing those games. They just butt masher wrestling the games, you know, and those were fun. But like I just felt like the the UFC games just kind of missed the mark for me. I and I agree, Riddler, with you 100. percent Like I think that you know they they take kind of the 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 functionality from the, you know some really popular and for good reason boxing video games and it, it's really smooth the way that they can work and the the head movement's pretty good and it makes sense the controls make sense you can be intuitive I think the grappling is complete garbage I think the engine that runs it is complete garbage and the more you know about grappling the harder it is and the more messed up it is I'm like I don't even how do I unmount how do I dismount yeah the, me- the mechanics impossible to play but I got to say this the newest UFC, UFC three, there was there's one step over from side control, which I actually learned how to do 
I play like see like the actual moves because they have guys actually doing it in the game. And there's this cool step over in the wrong direction. And I'm like, oh shit, that sets up the Kimura. So I actually brought it into my real game. But uh, Learning. I'm better Learning. at actually doing it in real life than I am on the television. I, I wish the game would be like, it would almost be like some kind of like sloating, like uh, sliding horizontal bar. It would be like almost like your hips. Because like everything in Jitsu, it's all about hips, right? It's like all about moving hips and doing this or that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that would be better than like doing like this big circle of like this chase the your tail kind of game. Like, I don't know. I feel like it, it could be done better. I know what you mean. Like that 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 style of movement. There there must be some kind of like a, like shift your hips to this side or shift to the, like I don't know. It's it's yep. a difficult problem to solve. I understand. Yep. But yeah, those those games aren't for me either. Hey, I had a question uh, on if we can go back to the UFC for a sec. Yep. Um, so I like kind of what being there firsthand and kind of watching you interact with folks that mostly like that work with the UFC and you can tell that kind of, you have a different relationship with those guys because your relationship's a little bit different than most fighters have because you've been kind of a, like an employee, but also a fighter and you've been around for a long time. Yep. Um, can you comment like, like just about what it's like and some of the personalities you've come in contact with the UFC and kind of what your experience has been with the organization? Uh, everyone has always been super cool to me because I have always been super cool to them. Like, I'm not like, I'm not like a big, like outwardly social person. So like, I'm not like some managers and fighters are like, they're trying to be like best buds and try and buy people drinks and get in, you know, get this and get that. And like, and that's never been my thing. I've just always been like, you know, professionally, however I can make their life easier. That's what I'm going to try and do. Like I try to be on time with medicals. I try to, you know, if they say like they want us here at 11 o'clock, I'm not showing up at 1110. I'm showing up at like, you know, 10 of 11. I'm, I'm always showing up early. We're never late. Uh, never an asshole about anything. Like always like, you know, even if they, even if they screwed up and they made it more difficult on us, right. That's not me to, that's not on me to go and give them a hard time or bust their balls over it. That's not my job. They're there to help out me. So we've just always been super cool and try to be as helpful as possible with absolutely everyone. You know what I mean? Like there's been like, um, like Donna Marcolini is like someone that like, she's awesome. She's from, she's local. She's from like Marshfield originally. And she's been with the UFC like forever. You know what I mean? And like, I can't tell you the number of times I've just seen her. I just tell she's having a hard day. You know I mean? And I like, I'll just like pick up a box and carry a box for her or do something like that. And like, you just like, and she just loves you for it. You know I mean? It's like just being like, just being a nice, good person. Like I'm not doing it because like, I'm trying to kiss ass. I'm trying to do this. I'm just like, just trying to be a nice person. I think that like some of the fighters are kind of dickheads. Sometimes they just, they look at the staff, like they're just like they're peons or something like that. They just don't care. And we just always been like, since the beginning, I was, I was super cool. And I was super friendly. Uh, I've known Sean Shelby, who's like the matchmaker now for most of the divisions. When I first got in the UFC, he was like, he was kind of like, um, he was one of the guys that like made the promo posters. Like he designed the posters, you know, for the UFC. Like he designed like the first cut of that. Uh, you remember that, uh, that awesome highlight they had that they show at the beginning of every, every show, like just the in-house video. Like he's, he's the one that designed that video. He cut that whole video and like he did all the iterations of it and everything like that. Like, so I've known a lot of the people like since they were like at a much, much lower like level or lower role and just that they've lasted out and they've, they've made their way up the ranks. Um, so it's good. But like, I have like a very different relationship with like Sean Shelby. You know, like, you know, so like Tyson, Tyson, he can text Sean and I can text Sean and it's like a completely different thing. Like, I'm like, I'm like, Sean, get me a goddamn fight. Like, let's go. You know, and Ty, Tyson's like, Hey, Sean, how are you doing? Do you think you can maybe get, like, uh, we flew to Vegas, went to the PI one time, and uh, it was, like, me, Steve Mays, uh, I think Mike Rodriguez was there. It was, like, Mike had a fight or someone had a fight in Vegas or something like that, went to the PI. And so we're up there, and the UFC offices are there. And, like, you know, and I asked, like, someone, like, where Sean's office is. And, you know, so I find Sean, and I find him in his office. I'm like, Sean, we're going to figure out a fight for me right now. 
and I made him like pull out his Excel sheet and show me who had fights lined up and who was available and everything like that. And like, and just like pick the fight and everything else. And like, and I'm not working out with that, that matchup, but like, but like, I just have a, de- a different relationship. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not like, I'm not being asshole. I just like, I just like, I can bust their balls a little bit different because I've known him. Like I've known Sean for, you know, 15 years now. It's easy to, you know, as opposed to Tyson, who's like, hello, Sean, do you think you can maybe offer me a fight for Calvin or Rob? And I'm like, I'm like, and, and then I'm like, Sean, Randy needs a fucking fight. Let's go. Get him someone here, this, this, this. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, and of course, I don't know if I get much further with him, but it just is a different tone. I think automatically we have to go get Tyson on the next time. So you got it. You got it. He gets so nervous about stuff. I keep, I keep telling like, so I don't, I don't think that the UFC, uh, the 249 is going to happen. I I just don't. It's supposed to be in like two weeks now or the 18th, I think. Um, I just don't think it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, and I keep telling Tyson, like, dude, you got to just, just have, have some balls and just tell them, look, uh, you know, Pete and Calvin, they're not going to be ready. Like we're on lockdown. They can't really train. Like they're, they're doing their best. They're doing what they can, but it's like, like you just like, it's not, you know, like, so Calvin's fighting Jeremy Stevens, right? Jeremy Stevens is in California. They're on complete lockdown. So like, they can't go anywhere. Like, I don't know, like maybe Jeremy's like, he's, you know, making to the gym or he's doing something else or he's got like buddies he lives with and they're doing grappling in the backyard or kickboxing. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Um, you know, and Calvin's training, but it's like, like neither one of these guys are, are going to have their best possible camp when under these circumstances, like, you know, they can both be okay and they can both, you know, have a fight, but like, but what if, what if Calvin has a great camp and Jeremy doesn't right. And then Cal and then Jeremy pulls out last minute, you know, it's just like, there's so many things like you got to just like, like just call them and let them know that, you know, these guys can't, the, the camp is not going to be possible, you know, like, and, and I think that no one really wants to be the guy, the first guy to pull out, but I know that every single person's feeling the same way. Um, you know, the UFC is trying really hard and I can understand like a little bit before about like, trying so hard when they were trying to make Khabib and Tony happen. But now that if that fight's not going to happen, the whole entire thing is going to look lackluster regardless. So it's like, just, just pull everyone, just, you know, do the thing. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think there's, you know, we, we were talking about to Anik about the same thing and um, you know, his comment was, you know, they have to figure out a location. Yeah. I mean, like, and if you haven't done that two within two weeks out of the event, there's no way it's happening. They have to, they have to, so here's the thing they have to do. All the international, there's, there's almost never a card that's purely domestic, right? Maybe, maybe they have a fight and they were talking about maybe doing it in Florida, right? Florida was like a possible thing because they had not yet declared like a state of emergency and it wasn't like a lockdown and like, and I think it was the only state that was left that could maybe happen. And Florida's crazy, right? You know, you all have the Florida man stories and everything else. Like, so who knows? But so like Florida was a, was a possibility until like yesterday, I think they declared a state of emergency or something like and they shut down everything now. So it's not possible in Florida. It's not possible in Vegas. Um, it's not like it, it, it can't really work domestically. So now it's like, okay, now you're talking, you got to work on visas. You get everything approved. You got to work on international flight. You know, there's so much that has to happen now. It's like how is it? In two weeks. In two weeks. It's like, and, and the, all these guys need to get fights. And they got to pay for their corners and everything else. Like, so like Calvin doesn't know where he's fighting. He has no, they don't know where the fight's going to be. So the UFC will pay for the fighter in one corner, right? So is the UFC going to pay for all, all the corners when they do this last minute now? Cause now you're making them pay for flights, which I'm sure are dirt cheap anyways, but you're making them pay for flights. Like when, and then like, do you bring them in on Tuesday? Like you normally do for a Saturday fight, or do you bring them in like Thursday and have them weigh in Friday and then fight Saturday and then get them out of there on Sunday. It's like, there's so many there's so much, you know, weird stuff to this entire thing. And like, they're trying really hard, but I just don't know. I just don't see it happening. It's like you said though, once Khabib and Ferguson went, went down the tubes, you might as well just squash the whole yeah. thing. 
I understand just because it's the fifth time they've been trying to make the fight. Like you want to try to make it happen. You don't want to have to, you know, scrap that. But like at this point, it's like you've already lost that. There's always going to be this thing hanging above it. Um, you know, now it's like it comes in the ethical issue of like, okay, does the UFC really, are they going to have fights and take away, you know, hospital beds and everything else? If they're talking, that's going to be when the peak of this, this coronavirus is going to hit. Like, is that an ethical thing to do? It's just like, um, I can understand a little bit, like they waited for a little bit because I think they were hopeful that the apex was going to be an option, like that the, the Nevada commission was going to get together and they were going to say that, okay, like we could have it in Vegas. We keep like limited people there. Um, but I think that now that we're, we're so close, I don't think that happens. So at this point, I think they got to, I'm sure they're going to pull, when will this actually go up? When will this podcast go up? Like Riddler? Two days? A couple days. Yeah, a couple days. days. couple days. Yeah. So I mean, so it, it could be, the show could be over and pulled before this even goes up. Like you don't know. It's like, it's changing by the day. I'm sure the UFC is going crazy because I'm sure whatever they're doing, I'm sure like they do tons of work on Monday and, and something changes on Tuesday and it's all wasted. Or they do, you know, like I heard, I've heard all kinds of rumors about doing uh, Belarus you know, because like they could do something Khabib could do there. Like, I, it's just I don't know. They're talking about Dubai. I heard Dubai, but then I heard Dubai might not happen now. I'm not sure. It's just the whole entire thing is just crazy. But like, they don't know yet. Like, Calvin doesn't know where he's fighting. You know, and like, and that's even more dangerous because like, it's one thing when you have like a set plan or like, hey, I, I'm I have to make weight and I because I know that I have to fight on this day. Right now, it's like it's like everything's like up in the air. You know, so is Calvin really being as tight on his diet? Probably not. Is Jeremy Stevens being as tight as that? Probably not. You know, like it's, you know, and there's, there's so many variables that just make it so much worse. Like I said, what happens if, if Calvin is training and Calvin's going to be hundred percent, but Jeremy's not now. Okay. Jeremy's going to go into a fight when he knows he's not hundred percent. He's going to try and, you know, just hope that Calvin's not in the best shape. It just sucks. Seems like you that too much. Much. How do you get medicals done for guys? You know what I mean? When it's a non-essential and you can't get in front of a doctor. So yeah, exactly. Well, so they should all have their medicals done by now. And I'm sure they're going to lose a bunch of the card. What's going to happen is like, they're going to, if the, the card started with, say it started with 12 fights, right? Well, maybe you, maybe you maintain six of those same fights. And then, you know, maybe you end up having like a card of like eight. So you have like an eight card main card or something. You have like one fight on another card or something like that. Like they'll do, I, at one point they were talking about doing just the main event, just Tony and Khabib. So I'm sure they're going to, they're going to do whatever they can to make it happen. So, uh, and all the guys, if you have your medicals done, then it's generally, um, it's generally, most places are generally the same things. Like every, every state's a little different, but under the circumstances, they would probably get a little bit more relaxed about things. And the UFC, they have a count pool of 500 fighters. They can find, you know, 16 that they can get licensed and have medicals in time. Yep. So what's next for you? If the, if, uh, if you're not going to fight, you're thinking about getting more into the competition scene with jiu-jitsu, doing some submission grappling stuff? Maybe. I mean, like, I haven't, haven't done as much submission grappling stuff be, uh, until now because, like, it doesn't make sense financially, right? If I'm going to try to get ready for a fight, like I get paid, like I'm like, my contract's like 70 and 70 or something now. Right. So like if I, if I win a fight, I make $140,000. If I lose a fight, I'm making like $90,000 because there's the Reebok money in there too. Right. So like I'm making either 90 or $160,000 if I win, if I lose or I win. Right. So it's like, is it really worth gambling to go make a thousand dollars or $2,000 and like a fight to win or something like that? Like it doesn't, I don't think it makes sense until now, but if I'm not going to fight, if I'm sure I'm not going to fight, then I would do it. But I, I kind of feel like if I have any kind of athletic ability, I probably wouldn't do grappling because I would, I would be thinking about fighting on the back bar. So I don't know. Maybe. We'll, we'll okay. see what happens. I um, could see you in like an EBI or a Polaris or – Yeah, I mean, it, maybe. I mean, it's, it's definitely fun. It's just it, it's such like a shift of focus. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I, I think that my MMA – my grappling is good for MMA, 
like I'm not the best at like opening the guard because I'm not used to doing that. I, I posture up and I punch people in the face and then I pass the guard. You know what I mean? So like, it's just, it's a little different like skill set wise. Um, but I would have, I would have fun doing it. Like I would, it would be good. You know, like it would, it, it, it's, I would enjoy it. It would be fun. It's just that the other thing too is like, you always like, I remember like when I went to Hawaii with BJ, I, I was talking about how like, uh, when I go to his gym, like, I feel like I have like a big target on my back. Like all of his guys were all like, they were trying to get me, like they were coming with like their A game every single time, every single role. And like, I'm just like, I'm getting like worn down, worn down, worn down all the time. He's like, how do you think it feels to be me? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, like the same thing. So it's like to go to like an EBI or something like that, like nothing's going to make someone happier than to break my arm in a, in a tournament. You know what I mean? Like it's, I beat the guy that has all the submission bonuses in the UFC. I, I broke his arm. Like it's, so it's a little bit, it's a little bit risky in that regard. Um, but it, it, I, I would, I would entertain the idea for sure. Yeah. And I, I, like, you know, I've trained with a lot of those guys, you know, a lot of the high level grapplers and stuff like that. You're right there. Like talent wise, like good luck. Oh, I, I, I think I would do okay. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm generally just like, I'm, I'm putting the reps in on different things. Like every, every Tuesday and, and Saturday I'm doing the guard boxing rounds. They're probably doing hard, you know, sport jujitsu competition rounds. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm doing like, I'm, I'm putting on hit mitts a couple times a week. Like I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm splitting my time doing other things, you know, and part of it's cause I like training that stuff, but part of it's cause I run my gym and you know, it's just, it, it's hard to kind of focus on, it's, it's hard to, for me to focus on grappling when I'm trying to coach my guys to focus on MMA. I'd rather keep my focus on whatever I'm coaching on. You know, for sure. If I was doing so, jiu-jitsu three times a week or five times a week or whatever I was doing, I don't think I'd be the best basketball coach. <laughs> <laughs> so as a guy who had a ton of fights, and I'm sure like your goals have changed like from fight goals to like other like goals. What, what do you got for goals right now? Like life stuff, grow the gym, keep the gym alive, I guess. Uh, <laughs> keep the gym alive for the next couple months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just, I mean, grow the gym. Like I've, I've, I've been really focusing on like finding like good business mentors about, you know, running the gym and doing a better job of that and just being successful. Like I, like I said, I see like these Taekwondo schools that have like 10 or 12 franchises and they're just making money hand over fist. And they're, they're kind of like teaching, I'm not gonna say it's crap. Cause it's like a lot of it's like, it's, it's strong kids businesses. Right. And like the, the biggest thing for the kids is just like being like respectful and listening and doing that kind of stuff. So like that's where the Taekwondo schools crush it and the Jiu Jitsu schools suck at it. Right. It's like, you know, getting, you know, that part of the thing. And like most parents, they don't care about how the kid does a clock choke. They don't care. Oh, he's got the best clock choke. Like, no, they care about the kids not a dickhead to his teachers and the, you know, babysitters and things like that. Like it's, it's a much bigger deal to them. Um, so I, 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 I want to like, I want to build like this like empire of like martial arts schools, whether it's like my gym or doing franchises or I don't know, you know, maybe just like helping people and coaching people or whatever. Like, it's just, uh, I, like I said, I don't, I don't think I have all the answers, but, um, I'm pretty obsessed with trying to get better about stuff. So like in a few more years, I think I'll have a lot better. I have a lot more answers in a few more years. After that, I'll have even more answers. And, and luckily like building like this, like gym empire is, is not something that like, is dependent on like athletic ability and age and everything like that. So we just keep growing and, and, I, and I'm doing it in a way that I like doing it. Like I'm not like, I'm not trying to run like this belt factory of like, Oh, here, here you go. You're getting like a black belt now. Cause you've been training. You, you paid for 72 months. It's just like, no, it's like, you have to, you have to train. You got to get good. But I think that there's um, definitely a way to do both. And the, the belt thing is an interesting thing. Like, you know, obviously that's a big part of um, kind of one of the things that le- legitimizes jujitsu, right, is that, uh, you know, we don't have a bunch of belts, first of all. You know, um, we've got five belts. And they're hard to get. You know, like, you know, it's years and years of training between each one of these belts. But stripes and belts are also things that put keep people on the mat 
for a lot of people, it's a motivating factor. And we all came up in a universe in which we know better. Um, and nobody really cares. Like, you know, Oh, you got a black belt now. Like, I guess that makes you unsubmittable, right? When you're on the mat. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't even put the gi on. So the belt doesn't matter. And second of all, you know, the, the rank is never going to protect you. You know what I mean? Um, so it's, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the evolution of jujitsu now? Cause I see a lot of belts being given out, a lot of stripes, a lot of like, you know, where it was so much harder when we were coming up to get those things. Like I remember when a purple belt was like a big deal. So yeah, I, I so I, I remember the exact same thing as you. I remember like when I first started training, like I remember Matt Santos had been training like ten years, and I'm like, oh my god, he's been training ten years. I didn't know anyone that been training that long. Um, and like now it's like there's tons of guys been training fifteen, twenty years, like just like all over the place. I think that like I know from like running my kids program. So like the way we do it is we do a stripe test every single month, right? So we do like it's it's just a, it's a stripe class. It's like two classes, right? It's just like we do almost the same format of the class. But they just they they test on the on the technique. So like we have like you figure two classes a week, then four weeks you have an eight eight class cycle, right? So the first five are doing something new, something some kind of small basic thing, right? Um, this is my teenagers, which are my three to five year olds, right? So but it's the same idea. So but they but they learn some kind of like very very basic uh, move movement, right? The fifth the sixth class is a review class. The seventh class they test on to see what they can do. And then if they don't pass in the seventh class, they get a, like a, almost like a redo class in the eighth to fix their errors from seven and you go to eight and you do that. And then almost like not every kid, but like most of the kids are going to get a stripe. Right. But, but we do, and then we do 12 stripes per belt. Right. So we do four in white, four in black, and then four in whatever the next color is. Right. Like, which I think is like an IBJJF thing. Right. But it's yep. like, it's awesome for the kids. Right. It's awesome for the kids because the kids are getting like basically getting one belt a year, but they're getting a lot of stripes. They get the recognition of like, Oh, good job. Like you worked hard. Otherwise, like, what, what kid is going to stick with something for two years before they get a belt, right? It's not, right. not going to happen. So it's, like, it's really, really good for the business perspective. And I think that it's, it's, it's really good for the kids because this is going to get kids that are going to be in, invested in training for a long time. And, you know, when we first started coming up, right, there were so few schools, right? There was no YouTube. There was no, like, kids, like, someone that's been training two years under us are way better than we were at two years. Like, oh, it's, yeah. not even, it's not even close. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, like, Training methodologies have gotten better. Um, I think like the the retention thing, like the the stripe testing, like that's it's because that's what the taekwondo schools do. These super successful taekwondo schools that is showing kids absolute crap as far as like defending themselves. They have it on lock as far as like how to retain retain uh, retain students and how to build students that for lifelong for a really long time and keep parents happy and keep the kids motivated and stuff like that. And that's something more jiu jitsu gyms have to do. Um, so I think it's like. So I, I don't mind like seeing, you know, little, you know, especially in particular like kids getting stripes and things all the time. Um, and then like, as far as like adults go, like there are tons of people that, like, okay, it's like someone like, let's say you had someone that was terrible, right? They're terrible, but they put in their time. Like they've been training for 15 years and they're God awful. But how do you not give that the guy, that guy, a, a black butter, even if he's awful, he's been training 15 years, like shows up, he's not being lazy. He's not being a slacker. You know, like he's a hundred percent committed. You can't say, oh, well, like, He's, he would get smashed by a, a, a high-level competition blue, but you're going to tell that guy, oh, you can't have it because you, you suck? You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like this. I right. understand, like, to, to some extent, maybe not a black belt, but, like, for, for, as far as progression goes, like, at what point is how, – how long – if someone sucked, the worst guy you know jiu-jitsu, how long could he train before you have to give him a black belt? Is it 30 years? Is it 25 years? Like, it's how long – you know what I mean? Like, everyone's got different ability. Everyone's got different everything else. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I think that that kind of – in the beginning, I think jiu-jitsu was so rough around the edges that they didn't care about keeping people. They just like, you either, you either, you know, you're, uh, you're either food 
What are you eating? You say, right? yeah, you think or you swim, right? Yeah. So I think I think that's gonna kind of come down the pipe just as more and more people get involved and like because in the beginning, like the the guy that's terrible, he wouldn't have stuck around for fifteen years because he would have gotten smashed and murdered every single day. Now it's like you know schools are more welcoming as an, as far as an environment goes, mm. and you know guys are you know guys are kind of let to stick around a little bit more, I guess. It's it's interesting that the comment on the uh, on on the kids class and the way you run the kids class with some discipline, and that's why some of these traditional martial arts that have schools and you know self defense wise, like you you can make a good argument for that not being a very effective use of the time in their training, but they want the discipline for their children and you know to learn right and wrong and learn manners and learn you know how to focus on things. That is not culturally that is not the way jujitsu has worked because it's always been a looser environment when you go to train, right? Like that's yeah. the I think is that what you were getting at, saying like that's what jiu jitsu yeah. don't do well. Yep, yep. Yeah. And culturally, jiu jitsu gyms don't make any money. <laughs> right. okay, they don't make any money. You know what I mean? Like if you want, like if you wanted to, like you know, and maybe you don't want to teach kids, right? Maybe that's not your goal, and you're not trying to make money. You're trying to just have a good environment for you to train, and that's fine, right? And that's okay. But your gym's not going to make money like that, right? You know, like but if all these schools that are trying to like make some money to you know keep the lights on, like all these like a lot of schools. They don't, if they weren't making a lot of money before, they're going to be gone when this coronavirus is done. Like they're gone. Like there's like, they were just barely covering their bills as is. And now they're going to lose half their members and or, or more three quarters of their members in the next, you know, three months, four months. They're, mm-hmm. they're not going to be there when this is over, you know? Um, so, you know, these Taekwondo schools are still going to be there. Guaranteed. Cause the oh, parents, there's no way the parents are going to stop paying. There's no way, you know, we're running, uh, we're running zoom classes from, for our classes. Um, and, uh, and for our kids, it's great. The parents love it. I'm getting messages every single day about how much they love it. And it's so good. And it's basically like, I'm, it's like a 25 minute class. It's like, we literally like, I, I set up zoom. I set up, I have a little tripod over here. I set it up. I have a couple of mats in my basement. I set up the zoom. All the kids come in. I, I, I say hi to all the kids. Uh, we do a warm up. We basically do jumping jacks some squats and a plank or something like that. A couple stretches. Um, I teach them some kind of technique that they can do like basically one-on-one. We did like a technical stand up. We did the little when you're when you're sitting the little Hicks and Gracie thing where you come up on your foot. I don't even know what it's called. You know what I'm talking about though. Hickson on the beach. Yeah, right. What, what's that movement called? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's the Hickson move. Yeah. So um, we did okay. like we did that another day. We did like we've just done a couple things like that. You know what I mean? Like and like just like but we do that. They practice. We I have them play some games like whether they use their parent or they use a sibling as a as a partner. We play like get on top of. They both lay on the ground, cross their arms, cross their legs. I say three, one, two, three, go. And they both just try to get on top. They're, you know, the lane beside you, they got to try and get on top as quick as I can. Um, and then I talk to them about being a good kid at the end. I, I have like something that I talk to them about. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's like a 25 minute class. The kids look forward to it. We give I give them a little bit of homework, some kind of exercise to do each day and some kind of chore to do. Um, and the parents love it. You know what I mean? Like that could have, I could be doing zero jujitsu with them at all. It doesn't matter that we're doing the, the, the technical standup. It doesn't no, matter at all. That's the thing, man. It's like, I think the thing that those, the successful Taekwondo schools do, I mean, some of them are just sort of, you know, McDojo-y, but yep. are that they're providing a mentor to the yes. kid. Yep. Which, and to be honest, you know, like you could do this. Some people get it through their music. I'm a music guy, right? So some of you get through the music teacher, some get through the basketball coach. Some kids need to be yelled at, you know, and, and swore at like a football coach. But <laughs> yep. it sounds like what you're doing is you're providing this mentorship. Yes. And that, and that's, that's, Maybe not what everybody signed up for in jujitsu in the first place, I guess is what I'm getting at, you know, and it's, it, it's, it's awesome. not, but like how many, how many kids, I mean, how many people do you know that as adults, they got injured and they had to stop training, right? It happens to all of us. Like at some point, you know, like yeah. basically like the, the, the ones that are too stupid to quit are the ones that stick around and get good. 
right? That's that's all of us. You know, like we, we, we train, we get hurt. And we're like, oh, I'm going to take a little time off and we go back and do it again. You know what I mean? Like that's like everyone that does jiu-jitsu, like we're too stupid to quit. That's our thing. That's you know? kind of a good ment- – uh, if you're into mentoring, that's a good quality in a mentor it's though, not. right? Which is having, don't, don't fucking give up. Having grit is, is super valuable and super good. You know, like um, – like, I think that like anytime you're under stress, you, you just learn to deal with stress better. You know what I mean? Like I, we had a couple firefighters in, at our gym and they try to recruit all their firefighter friends because they talk about how it's like, it's the best thing. Like when you're, you know, you're getting choked or you're freaking out, you have to think you got to use your brain, work your way out of the situation. It's the same thing when they go on, on calls and fires, right? They don't go on a lot of call, fire calls for fires. A lot of it's medical stuff. But when they do go on a call for fires, he's like, the guys that train always do a better job because they're under stress all the time doing jujitsu. And then they make good logical decisions during, you know, you know, in the fire and it's just, it's just good, you know? So it's, but for parents with kids, if a little kid is having a bad time every single day and he's crying because it's so hard, that kid is not going to, the parents not going to keep paying for the kid to keep crying to them every single time, you know, but now we do, we do a stripe. They do a good job. They, they know when it's stripe test. Like you've never seen kids act better when it's stripe week, right? They're all like, they're, they're all being like, not maniacs, but they're way more wild on the first three weeks than they are on the fourth week. It, it's cool that you give them a, a, an achievable goal that they can see within their time yeah. frame. Because kids don't think eight weeks. Yeah, you know, kids are so, going to be really tight like four that. Four weeks is long. Smart idea. Even four yeah, weeks but, but they know it's coming. You know, yes. it's like birthday's coming, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's, um, so it's, it's just good. And, 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 and we're doing 12 stripes on the belt, right? So you do four and then you, you replace the white with a black, replace the black with something else. So they get, you know, 12 stripes. It just, it just, it takes them a long time to get a belt. But so what we do is we do the um, the white belt get just has four stripes and they get a, a gray with a, a white stripe on it and then they all go to twelve stripes. So just kind of like they get like they, they get that taste like it's like hooking someone on crack. You give them just that like just that taste of the new belt. They're all excited about it and then you just you just you just prolong it a little bit. Yeah, uh, I think you'll agree. That's the quote right there for the thing, right? <laughs> oh, that's perfect. What he does is he, yeah. he three yeah. to five year olds yeah. on crack. Yeah. That's yeah, the one, right? you hook them. <laughs> hook them while they're young. It's um, funny because I was thinking today like. I was like, man, this is like why we've trained all these martial arts, right? To deal with situations like when the world has gone insane. Yeah. Like we're supposed to be able to deal with these weird situations. Yep. And I, I've had so many messages from people. I've had like, I've had one nasty email from someone that was just like completely uh, not warranted whatsoever. He's like, so we put out a video to everyone. Like, hey, look, you know, we've had a lot of messages from people. Like most of my members, like I've had an overwhelming number of members saying, look, we know you're not running classes. We want you to charge us anyway. We want the gym to be there. I'm still getting paid. Like if, if something changed and I wasn't getting paid, you know, I would let you know, but I'm still getting paid. So I want to, I want to continue to support the gym. And I've been super thankful for that. And then we've had a couple people that are like, Hey, like I, I really want to support the gym, but I lost my job or I do this or I've been laid off. I can't afford the gym right now. I promise I'll be back when, when I get back to work. I'm like, okay, that's, that's no problem either. And then we had someone that messaged me today that was like, the, their kid's been training with us for like uh, like ten months or eleven months or something, and he this guy trained with us for a couple months too, but he, he didn't stick it up. And uh, but he's like, hey, like you're gonna you're gonna you charge my card again, like all like super you know annoyed, right? And like I went back, I'm like, he's like, you didn't respond to my first message, and I'm and I checked all of our things. We use Vonage, so I know I can, I can look at all the call logs. I have I can look at all the emails. I can look at Facebook. I'm like I looked everywhere. I'm like I don't see any record of this guy contacting us at all. And then. Um, he got charged on like March 15th and then I'm like, when did you call? He's like, I called on the 12th. I'm like, okay, well I, I checked back to February 12th and you did not call. He's like, uh, you know, and you got billed on the 15th. So, you know, I don't, you know, there's no email. He's like, well, I delete all my emails every, every couple of days. I delete all my emails. I'm like, sure you do. Like, I'm, I'm sure you do. 
So then, then <laughs> you he, sound just like that kind of guy who's like really email managing. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, um, and he's like, and I'm like, but Hey, I'm like, but no problem. Like I'm, I stopped your payments. You won't have any more payments come out. You're fine. His last payment came out on the 15th, which was the day we canceled the classes. So his payment came out at like 2am and then we had to freeze classes for a couple weeks. And I'm like, I'm, I'm giving the kids, like I'm giving all the, we're starting a gi program. So switching all of our no gi kids to gi and it just, it works out. It was supposed to start like this, this coming week. And, uh, but I'm just going to give all the kids a gi instead of selling them a gi. I'm going to give everyone a gi because, you know, we had the shutdown. It was supposed to be just two weeks. And like, I'm like, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'll, I'll do more for you guys. I just don't know how long it's going to be. So I don't know what I'm going to do, but, and you guys stick with us. We're going to, I'm going to, you know, take care of it. I'm going to make it work up to you guys. And so, but he's super, so, but I, but he, he called me like after his last payment and now he's acting like I charged him again. And I didn't I'm like, like, I don't know what you want. Like I, I just said, I canceled your payment. Like you asked me to do. And I was like, well, I want to, I expect a refund too. I'm like, dude, like, like if you want a refund, I have no problem. I'll give you the refund. I'm like, but here's the timeline of like what happened. I'm like, you did not, we've, we've not billed you since you told us, you know, you, he called one time on the eight on February 18th and didn't like, didn't leave a voicemail. Didn't. So he, he didn't respond. He didn't leave anything for us to respond to. We had one missed call on the 18th and he's, he's trying to act like he left us like this in-depth detailed report. Like, dude, like if you want a refund, I'll refund your money. Cause I don't want to, I don't want you to feel like you got anything less, but great treatment, but, but you're wrong. Yeah. It's, um, it's certainly an interesting you know, the, the position that we're in as, as gym owners is that um, the buck stops with us because you've got a lot of momentum of students and families and kids that are saying, you know, like, are you, are you going to charge me? Are you not going to charge me? They're like want to try to support the program, but some people have lost their jobs and stuff like that. But the people we pay rent to, they're not like, oh, don't worry about next month. You got to figure, we have to, the, the buck literally like, you know, the, the whatever it is, the uh, both currents flow to us. You know what I mean? And so we got to figure out how to keep the doors open so there's an academy to come back to. Um, but we want to provide value to the people that are paying or just not. If you're not going to provide any value, then just don't charge them. And figure, right. like, you know, you use the government processes, whatever. But there are tensions out there, right? And it causes people to behave sometimes maybe not quite as well as they should. And not kind of – everyone has trouble right now. Everyone is, you know, struggling one way or another with things that are going on. Some more than others. But I have a – Jay, I got a friend. I have to have to take into account that, you know, we're all trying to do the best that we possibly can. And maybe if he widened his gaze a little bit, maybe he would see that. I have a friend who, uh, who, who, who said to me that, cause I have a tendency to do what you guys are doing, like try to just accommodate, you know, to try to do the right thing. Right. And he says, you know, if you're a giver, you got to have limits because takers don't have limits. And yep. that really stuck in my head. You know, like I'm going to give, give, but at some point I'm like, all right, that's the line. Sorry, bro. Yep. So, so we do at our gym, we do memberships. It's like two times, two classes a week, three classes a week are unlimited. That's just how we do our classes. Right. So I told everyone that anyone that sticks us through and at the time it was only going to be two weeks shut down, two or three, three weeks shut down. I tell like anyone that is on our thing, like if the, our guys that do unlimited are people I see like five times a week. So like, I, I didn't feel like I had to worry about them. Like they're getting their money's worth. They're, they're showing up all the time. Like I'm not worried about them. Like if it's a, if it's a, not a long time, I'm not worried about them. I was more worried about the people that have like just started it on like two times a week or things like that. Those are the people I think were the, the least likely to cancel it on us. And I just told them, Hey, look, I know a lot of, a lot of you guys, sometimes you only train, you only have the two time a week membership because that's all you can afford. Everyone across the board, I'm going to move everyone to an unlimited membership when this is all done to kind of make it up a little bit. You know, I understand it's, you know, it's this, you know, you get to support us a little bit. I understand it's probably not worth it to you in the end by doing this, but it's going to help you out a little bit. It's going to help us out by keeping it going. And if you can't afford it, then I understand you, we can cancel you out. It's no big deal. But if you guys do stick it around, I'm going to bump you all to unlimited. 
um, you know, and, and that that seemed to keep most people happy. And I had some people that messaged me saying like, "Oh, I want to keep paying regardless." Da da da. Like, but like, like how are you, how are you gonna come and like act like, you know, question integrity and all this other stuff? And like, dude, it's like you didn't like you're, you're harassing me about something you didn't even leave a call and didn't voicemail and anything else. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's a soft spot for me. I mean, we've dealt with George Kinsai. We've dealt with very very little of that. I I think none of that really. Yeah. I've, d- I've just talked to other gym owners, other academy owners, other people that are trying to run other businesses that are also shut down right now. And there's that situation seems to be a common story. And I'm like, it, it really puts me off that people react that way. Yeah. And, and it's been few and far between, you know, but of course it's the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Right. So it's like the, I've had one complaint like this, you know, and like if someone like someone lost their job and they, they asked to cancel, I have zero complaints on that whatsoever. You know what I mean? But it's like, there's, there's people that I know that like they're still working right? You know, I know they're still working. They're still getting a paycheck coming in. And like, I understand that. Like, yeah, we're not, we're not running classes. I understand that, you know, but if, if, if everyone cancels, everyone has that, Oh, that mindset that the gym won't be here when it's done and you're going to need jujitsu when this is over. <laughs> you're going to need that stress relief. You're going to be, you're going to be in the house for two months, three months. Yeah. You're going to be, you're going to need, you're going to need someone to strangle. I can offer I, that. I think it also, like I've seen people say it and I think it is true that adversity like this will reveal people's true character, you know? And so you find out, what people are all about in times like this, you know? Um, and again, if, if people, if they can't, if they legit have lost their job, like I have zero, zero issue with that whatsoever. Right. You know, but if you're like, well, you're not offering a service, so I don't want to pay. Like I get that. But like when you come back, you're going to pay, like you, you stop, don't, don't try and pull like the friend thing on me and you cancel them too much and want a deal and want a, your old rate back. Like, you know, rates have probably gone up since you've been with us. You're going to be paying like anyone else that knew you, you didn't care about us. You know, your new sign up. Yeah. No. <laughs> So when this thing is over, whenever that time is, I hope we're all going to come down and visit you on a Saturday morning. Definitely come down. Definitely come down. Yeah. Um, we'll break that key out for you. Breaking the black boat. I, I've worn it a couple of times. Like I haven't, like I've been, I've been super focused on all the, the gym stuff. And then of course now we got, <laughs> I'm not doing anything, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll put on the gear roller. Awesome. I'll bring the Nogi stuff too. Okay. Just to make it fair. That works. Keep it even. I'll leave, I'll leave my gloves in my hotel room though. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Guys, I'm the producer, so I get to tell you that you got to pimp your new YouTube channel. It just went up yesterday and uh, already has three up. And this will, I'm going to fast track this shit. Uh, well, because of the whole three to five year old and crack comment there. I'm going to I'm go that tomorrow. Uh, this stuff will go up probably by tomorrow night because it takes a couple hours for the shit to go up. But uh, pimp that channel. Yeah. So, I mean, it's cool, right? I mean, it's a bummer because we all want to be training, right? And so Jay and I have been doing that. And Riddler, we've all been doing this podcast for like six years, but we didn't put like a ton of, like we spend more time training than doing it. But now that we can't train, we've been doing a ton of episodes. Um, So yeah, for everybody out there listening, we do have a new YouTube channel. Um, Please check that out. This podcast will go out on the regular iTunes and all the regular podcast venues, but It'll be on YouTube as well. So we'll be putting a ton of stuff on that. Joe Lozon, man, I am super stoked you came on. Thanks for coming and talking to us. Um, Thanks for everything you do for all our friends, Devin and everybody else. Man, you do a lot of great stuff. Thank you for having me. You know, like uh, Joe Ponfer used to always tell me, stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Like that was the thing. Just, you know, everyone gets, you stand on someone else who's a little taller, see a lot further. Uh, So I want to be, I'll be the base of that pyramid if I have to be it, you know, like, but. I want to I wanna see everyone do better. It's, uh, it's been awesome for me. I'm glad that we finally were able to do this. We'll probably, if, if you're cool, we'll do another one at some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Visit, 
Um, it's awesome. It's over, we'll come to your gym and do it. Okay, yeah, that'd be good. It's uh, it's it's awful cool for me to get the chance to kind of podcast you. You know, we're friends. Uh, we've trained together a little bit. But, you know, we've worked together on the corner, uh, working with Devin. So this was awesome for me. It's awesome just to see your face and to get to hang out for a little bit because obviously we can't do that right now. Yeah. Um, so thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. And anybody uh, listening in, we talked about a bunch of his historical fights. Go check those out. You can see him. And also go check out uh, Lozon Mixed Martial Arts at LozonMMA.com. Make sure to check that out. If you're south of Boston, go train with this guy. For sure. All right, boys. Thanks so much, brother. Have a great night. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Peace.